Hey there, podcast listener. Do you ever stop to wonder if you're wrong and everyone who disagrees with you is right? You know, what if? What if the collective wisdom of our ancestors is all useless? Plato, Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius, Cicero, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, the founding fathers. What if they're all just mean old racists and not cool? What if Karl Marx was right and there is no God and the entire history of the human race is simply a struggle between people who have things and people who have less things? What if the Ten Commandments really aren't all that important and the only sin is being born into privilege of class or race or wealth? What if nothing is your fault and everything is the fault of your environment? What if you aren't responsible for the bad things that you do and it's all the fault of the world? What if you don't have the right to protect yourself your wife, your children, your property, from theft or rape or slavery or death because a bunch of smarmy faggots in Washington, D.C. decided you shouldn't be able to? What if you don't have the right to life at all before your head passes through a birth canal? Or, hell, why even then? What gives you the right to life anyway? What if God was wrong when he instructed men and women to marry and have children? What if the people who tell you having kids are bad for the environment, what if they're right and God is wrong? What if chopping off your breast makes you a man? What if chopping off your penis makes you a woman? What if all the Hollywood celebrities and city people are really smart and you're just too stupid to know what's good for you and your family? What if the Ukrainian war is about good versus evil and not about a bunch of global elites laundering billions of dollars? What if cow farts are destroying the earth? What if Bill Gates isn't a literal supervillain? What if none of those conspiracy theories you heard of are true and the government has your best interest in mind? What if our democracy is a good idea and hasn't turned into a laughable, satanic, Orwellian disaster? What if giving your kids a smartphone and unlimited internet access to porn and violence isn't destroying their brain and corrupting their soul? What if everything is fine and good and great, and all the people pointing out cultural and societal problems are just kooky idiots that don't know what they're talking about? What if the future is bright and sunshiny and your kids will live in a utopian society of peace, love, and tolerance where all of the inflations, instability, drug use, depression, and hopeless narcissism that is currently on the rise everywhere will magically go away because we raised taxes and abolished private property and made people stop eating beef and driving cars and traveling? Yeah, what if? What if right is wrong and wrong is right? What if two and two make five? What if the truth is whatever the majority decides it is? Hmm. Well, that was a fun exercise, everybody. Let's start the show. Those get better every week. Giving myself props. Well done, Sam. I like being able to see it on the TV. This is nice. Maybe that should be chair three. You're good, dude. I'm telling you right now, about 5% of people who listen to the show actually watch the Yeah, but I can't see. Oh, you can't see the TV. Yeah. You can turn around and look at it. We'll work on it, Dylan. Smell good. Uh, there you go. That's the plus. 
Welcome again to another episode of the Capo Podcast. I'm sure you're hungry for another episode because it's been a while and we're going to deliver it to you today. We're grateful that the show has been catching on and our views are moving up week by week. I'm having people come up to me in town and tell me they're enjoying the show. That's very cool. And uh, people have asked me a few times what the show is about when I tell them about it. And uh, this kind of got me to thinking we cover so much ground here on the show on the podcast profile, it says history, philosophy, and literature, preparedness and survival, cowboy stuff, morality, culture and Christianity, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, news, current events, and political analysis. That's a lot of stuff. And yeah, that's what it's Fairly about. Accurate. That's, that's the show. Um, we well, cover so political sir. stuff a lot. Uh, conspiracy theories, current events. We talk about books and movies and history. But really what we're talking about is ideas. We're talking about culture. We're talking about religion. But all of it goes back to ideas. Where do we get our notions? The oldest question, right, where all of our ideas come from, why do we think them? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they both? Can we really even understand our own mind? One of my favorite quotes from Cormac McCarthy is in Blood Meridian, and it says this, A man is at odds to know his own mind because his mind is aught he has to know it with. He can know his heart, but he don't want to, and rightly so, it's best not to look in there. It ain't the heart of a creature that is bound in the way that God has set for it. You can find meanness in the least of creatures, but when God made man, the devil was at his elbow, a creature that can do anything, make a machine, and a machine to make the machine, an evil that can run itself a thousand years, no need to tend it. So, Ladies and gentlemen, friends and enemies, that's what the show is about, trying to puzzle out the mind and the heart of man, something all great thinkers for the last few thousand years have been trying to do, so surely we're equal to that task. Right? You think so? I think, I think so. It's... Without further ado, let me introduce my guest today. It is Tim Aniskovich. Aniskovich? Way close. Close. Aniskovich. Um, he just told you. I know, but I had a lot of things to read. Hey, I've spent a lot of my life explaining that. So, Tim, I've been told several times that I do too much introducing before I let people introduce themselves. So, go ahead. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Okay, well, um, my name's Tim Aniskavich. I'm uh, Jordan Hilton's dad. Um, that's kind of my tie to uh, Beaver and... That's kind of what gave me a vested interest into the podcast, I guess, uh, that got me interested in it and um, moved around a lot as a kid. Um, pretty, My dad was in the military, so it was pretty common for us to move every couple of years. Uh, once my dad retired, we uh, settled in the Texas Panhandle. My mom originally was from this area, and uh, she grew up. Uh, they relocated to the Stratford area. So, I, you know, even as a young kid, I was pretty familiar with this area. And then um, my dad retired. We moved to the Amarillo area. I went to high school at Canyon. Uh, that's where I met my wife, Crystal. And after that, I went to West Texas A&M on a uh, college football scholarship. That's kind of how I got to go to college and um, got involved in athletics that way. But that's always been a big part of my life and uh Coached for 31 years throughout West Texas and uh, retired a couple of years ago. Worked in a private school setting for a year 
And um, then I had an opportunity to go into a um, the business world uh, with a company that sells letter jackets to schools in West Texas. And and uh, that's what I'm doing right now. So I have a lot more free time. I'd say I'm 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 retired, but I'm I I, I still am employed. I still semi, work. Semi retired. Yeah, kind of semi retired, kind of second career. And I've enjoyed having the free time more and and uh, getting to spend more time with my family, my kids, my granddaughters, and and that's been a good thing. We've seen him a lot more <laughs> in the Since last not in the last coach. eighteen right. months. And he, yeah. and he didn't just coach anywhere. You were coach at midland texas i i I, that's a different animal than i spent about 15 years there in midland and uh you know i I went there as an assistant in 2002 we had a lot of uh, success there and then um i got my first head coaching job i moved up into uh borger texas in texas panhandle spent a couple i spent three and a half years there then i went back to midland and uh crystal and i decided we moved around a lot as a coaching family and uh, we decided we wanted to be back somewhere and let our kids go through a school system and finish up. And And Midland was a great community for us. Our kids consider that home, even though we've probably lived in eight, seven, eight different communities, different schools, things like that uh, with coaching. But uh, Midland's been very good to us in that regard. My wife still teaches there. This is her last year. She's going to retire and then uh, we're looking to hopefully get closer this direction. Cool. I know when, when you talk about football and high school football, a lot of – because there's a lot of people who know coaches and know know some about football where we live. But when you talk about somewhere like Midland, Texas, football is a, a different thing in Midland, Texas than it is in, you know, Beaver, Oklahoma, I would say, or – and Beaver is kind of a big football town, or used to be, not anymore. But, uh, but you, you know what I mean? Like Midland, Odessa area football is yeah. is something well, else. W- when I got out of college, I, I was actually a finance major, and um, I, I'd say about oh three years into college, that's when I decided I wanted to coach. Um, I had a great influence. My high school coach was a great influence on my life, and I just I was spending so much time in athletics that I wanted to give coaching a chance. So I, you know, last year I kind of changed my major to education and uh, studied that for about a year and a half and graduated. And I took my first job at Odessa Permian in their system. I worked for a guy named Tam Hollingshead. Um, of course, you know, back then, I mean, Permian was a great program and it, it still is a great program, but it was, that's Friday Night Lights. The book's written after it. So, I kind of took the approach of I'm going to apply for jobs at schools that have a great history of success, and I'm going to go there. And I took an entry-level job, and I just tried to learn everything I could. And and really looking back over my 31-year coaching career, I got a lot of jobs because of the guys that I worked with on that staff that helped me through the years and recommended jobs to me. So um, came back up in the panhandle, worked it. Why would you do that one? I, this that's triggers that, that's the for one that some got, reason that, acting out. That's the one that got oh, me. Oh, no. What are you doing? Hold on. I'm going to turn that down. I don't think the FBI cares about <laughs> I remember when, when hey, Friday Night Lights came out, the movie, yeah. that was when I was kind of in high Well, we were in high school. Close to it. And it was like, I don't know. We were still football age. Did that and that was like the coolest. Picture, I, did that blow it out of proportion? 
as far as the passion that a community has for a football program, I, I think it was accurate. Um, you know, I, I definitely think some of the stories probably got embellished, but I mean, in West Texas, I mean, when we went that when we went back there in 2002, the coaching staff that I'd been on, we had played for a state championship at Hereford, um, just you know, southwest of Amarillo. And we got an opportunity to go down there, and that conference was called the Little Southwest Conference. I mean, it's every every team in that league was really solid. That was the best league in Texas. So our coaching staff, a lot of guys, we we decided we wanted to be a part of that and see if we could uh, have some success down there. And and we went there and believed in what we were doing. And I think that's why you go there. A lot of coaches understand that uh that little southwest conference is is uh it was great football i mean it's every week you could win you could lose you could get embarrassed if you weren't prepared and um and that's the reason why we went there we wanted to coach in the best best district in texas and i believe when we went there it was yeah i think a lot of other parts of texas have kind of caught up to that uh west texas but um, you know, some of the neat things about going down there, the first year I was there in 2002, we opened up a new stadium and uh, we played Midland Lee uh, for a playoff berth. Midland High School hadn't been in the playoffs in 51 consecutive seasons. Whoa. And uh, the very last game of the season, we were playing Midland Lee for a playoff berth. Whichever team won is going to get in. And there were 20,000 people there. It was it was unbelievable, you know, for a high school coach. I mean, I've I've been to big college games and some NFL games, but at high school, when you walk into a stadium right. and you can't you can't hear yourself talk in pregame, I mean, it was just it's it's an electric uh, atmosphere. So that was a lot of fun. But um, you know, we we played a lot of big games. You know, we played in the old Texas Stadium. We played in AT and T, the new Cowboy Stadium. We played at the Alamo Dome and and. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it was a big deal. And in our community, it was a big deal. So that first year that we made the playoffs and broke, we they called it the 51-year curse. When we made that playoff run, that we played for a state championship that season. We lost in the finals, but, I mean, that town was electric. It was a neat – And that was your first season? That was our first season there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I kind of miss football, especially when this time of year rolls around. And I'm not – like, I don't watch it anymore. Like, I, I used to watch football when I was in college, and I kind of quit, and I still haven't. Like, I just – I don't watch sports anymore. But every time this time of year rolls around, going into fall – feel it. It gets a little cool. Yeah. The yeah. weather changes it, a little uh, bit. And, yeah, yeah, you feel it again. And it, it is something that was very formative for my yeah. youth. And one of the things that made me the saddest about the, the two years that I coached was I got so – disenchanted with how little the kids seemed to care that it kind of it kind of hurt that in me that that old romantic yeah. idea that i had about like when me and dylan we were had playing. an exceptional experience yeah we, yeah. we, we were lucky for, we were a small town we had a huge following good coaches we had a good team it was the it parents, was wild when we were it was the parents alive. were involved yeah it ain't you know, like Dylan and I were talking about this earlier. It's it, if you coach long enough. I mean, I've I've coached in three state championship games, and I've also coached some teams that that weren't very good teams. And it, it's weird how 
it's just hard to explain the dynamic that when you put a bunch of kids in the same locker room and coaches in the same coach's office, how sometimes that works and how sometimes it doesn't work. And you can be, I mean, we played 2002 state championship game, 6A in front of 50,000 people. It's on Fox Southwest. The next season, we go three and seven. Um, it, it's just hard. I mean, I don't know that people really understand the dynamics that go with of a group of kids. It, it could be, and it could simply be one or two kids. You know, like I look back on the teams that I coached that were really successful teams, and and I'll tell you this: we had a lot of really successful men. I mean, some of those guys were ended up being orthopedic surgeons. They, I mean, they came out and they did some really neat stuff. And then we had some classes that struggled with leadership, and sometimes, you know, we had a hard time. Uh, being successful like that. But if you do it long enough, I mean, you're going to have some years that are really good and, and you're going to have some years that aren't good. Aren't you so know, good. the great thing about high school football, I think, is you got to play the cards you're dealt. I mean, the yeah. kids that are in your community, That's those you are got. the, those are the kids you're developing. We're not doing and, great right now. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, and I, I mean, some of, I, I've seen groups of kids too that, um, you know, we had a team in 0405. It's one of my favorite groups I've coached. They they just they weren't very talented. They weren't very good, but they were all overachievers. They were fun to coach. They had a great attitude. Their work ethic was good. And that team, by the time they were juniors and seniors in high school, uh, we went three rounds deep in the playoffs. And you know, in Texas, six rounds you you're going to play six games in yeah. the playoffs. So you know, to get to the point where you're in the third round, you're early December. That's good football anything and, after uh, thanksgiving yeah. yeah 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 that's a i mean that's a big deal um to practice on thanksgiving that's yeah. a really neat deal i think there's a concept of like people who look at oh the successful football kids and there's this idea and i think it's pushed by hollywood that like oh those guys years later are all kind of the washed up hang around town types <laughs> and that's like that's usually not the case those teams that are really successful it's like you said yeah those kids go on to be successful most of the time i mean i look at our class which we weren't i mean we didn't win state or anything but had some we success. have had some success i would mm-hmm. say as as individuals i think we had a pretty good class yep yeah and, and you have a unique characteristic of, you know, all of those kids that grew up together, somehow they all get along, somehow they all have a, a passion for making yeah. each other successful and not, you know, not wanting to let each other down. You know, I think as coaches, that's something that you're trying to teach young you men with it. is part of your responsibility on a team is to not let the other people down. And, and I think that's... Uh, it's just really hard to pinpoint why sometimes it works and why sometimes it doesn't because, you know, I, I've seen a lot of coaches that, you know, for a few years, everybody thinks they're great. And then all of a sudden they have a team that's not very good. And all of a sudden they're not a good coach anymore. I mean, that didn't change a whole lot. I mean, you're going to, in high schools, your community is going to have ups and downs. I mean, there's going to be cycles that you're going to go through, but, um, or the other way around, you'll have a whole bunch of families and kids that maybe aren't so great, and then the you know whoever it is, the school board or the administration thinks, man, if we if we just get the right coach in here, we're gonna turn all this around and it's gonna go great. And it's like that's you you have to have all the ingredients to bake the cake. You, but it's yeah. not just talent, right? No, oh, it's yeah. not. It's, I, I, would, I was not very talented. No, 
Not at all. I would, I would think I that any, any coach, <laughs> no, you any, any coach would always want to, they would want to know you have talent. But I, I honestly, I think the, the, the strongest, I was fat and hard to move. <laughs> the you strongest were. characteristic that you can find is a community support. I mean, I, I've worked in some great places where I really felt like the community turned their kids over to us and they trusted us. We could coach those kids hard. And I'm not talking about mistreating kids. I'm talking about football's a tough game. You're never going to do anything harder um, physically in your life. I mean, there's a reason why at a certain age, I mean, we couldn't go out and play. You can't, you physically can't do it. But, you know, I think any coach – would know coming into a community is, is, is the administration going to support me? Are they going to let me do the things that it's going to take to get the program turned around? And, you know, that goes down to working with younger kids, um, you know, getting them interested in being in, in, uh, in football and wanting to do something hard. I mean, we always used to talk about this with our athletes is, you know, we'd try to sell them on this. We do tough stuff. I mean that that's who we are. We do tough stuff. And um and I think that's an important characteristic that young men have to learn. Yeah. Um that's and and I'll be honest, that's I think that's why I got into coaching. I love the X's and O's of coaching, but I I I had men that poured into my life and it changed who I was as a person. And I mean, I was always pretty competitive and I was always pretty athletic, but these coaches that had a passion for teaching us how to be strong young men, I gravitated towards that um, pretty quick. And that's what made me go into the profession. That's, I thought it was that important. I mean, I could tell you every coach I've ever had from the seventh grade up, um, including college. Um, I could tell you probably almost every teacher I ever had, they had that kind of impact on my life. And that's, I mean, I didn't go into education to get rich. I went in. I don't because, think anybody does. Yeah, I, I want to go in there, except I, for the people who are like the heads of teachers unions. <laughs> they probably yeah, do, probably. But you know, you do that because you want to help kids, and you know they they have to learn how to do hard stuff. I mean, all of us want our life to be easy. My life's easier right now than it's ever been. But I mean, you you almost have to purposely press yourself into situations that are tough, and I, I think that's why. Not just football. I don't think it's just foot, football. There's other things that you can do too, but I think football's a big part of that, and it's been a big part of my life. It's uh, definitely a good vehicle for it because right. there's not a lot of other stuff, especially for young men. There's not a, a lot of other stuff that are is like football until you're you know until you're old enough to like maybe go into the military or something. Yeah, there's um, there's not a lot of things like that when are, you're working with people out right. in the field, you can ask them. Did you play yeah. high school football? And you can tell a big difference. People that have and haven't. like Yeah. I hired a guy one time who was from Velma Alma when I was working at CP. Yeah. And we, you remember Velma. Mm-hmm. And he was a, just a little bit younger than us. And I was like, did you play football down there? Because I knew they had a big program. Big program. And, he, and it was like, no, I didn't play football. Did he a make a little voice. And then I shook his hand, and he had, like, no handshake. Hand you a dead fish. And I should not have hired him, because yep. guess who quit, like, three weeks No, in? you can tell. There's, like, it teaches you how to have heart. And you go, but, you know, you made a comment earlier about uh, leadership. Yeah. You know, that's, like, the roots of it. Yeah. 
And if you didn't play, if you didn't play that sport, did you do anything else? Like, well, what what is your what did you do on a team? <laughs> did you do anything thing. that required anything? Second team flute player or yeah. something. I was in the band. Se- <laughs> uh, second team French horn, and hey, we're gonna have to try. We, a we need to improve. A I, little I bit sang on. in the college choir. <laughs> Gay. Yep. I sang in the college choir for a while, and I can tell you this: it's about ten percent straight men and ninety. Who was your queers. roommate? <laughs> Who was your roommate in college choir? I didn't have a roommate in college choir. Oh, I thought I heard a text message. M- maybe maybe we should call. Message. Maybe we should call Ben and ask him. You want to try to call Ben? ben. In? <laughs> He's golfing. He's probably drunk as a skunk right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, that's. Uh, hey, hold on. Go. I think. Don't you still hold a record at WT? Not a good one. It's not. No, it's like most kickoff returns in a season. But yes, I still hold it. That means we played no defense. <laughs> Didn't you have some others at Didn't, WT? Yeah, uh, or just a Canyon or what? I don't know if they were records. I, I don't know. Dylan, don't get me talking about myself. That's, I, I don't like that. I don't do that. Um, I've heard from quite a few people down there that Handy. he was the real deal. <laughs> he was the, the Zach Rankin, of Canyon. Okay. That that makes sense to me and you and like four right. other people, which is no, good. You get it. Ivan gets it. Ivan gets it. I get it. All the local listeners will get it. Yeah, yeah. the local Beaverites will understand. They will. I've heard talks of a statue, maybe. <laughs> Which I think is well deserved. Hey, hey, yeah, you know, if we're gonna make one, that wouldn't be a bad be one to good. make. Be great. I hope he listens. <laughs> he needs to. We're gonna have him on. Yeah, we should. We should do that. Um, one of the things I want to talk about related to football is uh, we talk about society and culture a lot on the podcast, and we talk about how it seems like society is kind of hostile more hostile now than it used to be towards traditional masculinity. And part of football is trying to teach boys how to be masculine. Like you you can't play football and not be masculine, at least while you're on the field or you're going to, you know, cry on the sidelines. And I guess I would ask like, did you see an increase in, I don't know, like any sort of pushback against kind of the football culture from that, you know, the new age woke kind of feminist anti-masculinity? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a good way to put it, Sam. Uh, I think the biggest change that I saw over 30 years was how many young men, how many boys are being raised in single parent homes that that has changed dramatically over 30 years. You know, as a kid, I I don't remember hardly any of my friends that I grew up with growing up in a single parent home, maybe one or two, you know, and our, I mean, our graduating class was probably close to 400. Um, I think that was a, that was something that we knew as coaches that we had to address. So I, I would say, yes, I think it's an issue. I think boys are growing up without men at home. You know, a, a divorce is more common. I think uh, moms are doing a lot of stuff that dads should be doing, in yeah. my opinion. And, um, you know, there's in a marriage, there's things that um, there's things that 
the mom is really good at and should be doing. And then there's things that the 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 dad and is going to be better. It, at. It should be and, and should handle. Yeah, and, I can already see this in my like in my three year old daughter. Yeah, there's like mom will tell her to stop doing something, and she's my my kid's a great kid. I have like hardly any problems with her, but every once in a while, it takes me saying, "Hey." Cut that shit yeah. out without saying, I don't like, say shit. Like but, one thing I... You know what I mean? Like like my mom never would have gone and talked to my high school football coach. Ever. I mean, that just wasn't no something that my mom would have done or I don't, I'm not sure that... I coached my for dad, two years and I saw that all the time. And, and I think a Parents, lot of that is yeah. coming up. Dude, well, we had a kid that like twisted his ankle and his mom and his aunt like came into the locker room at halftime because this kid had a twisted ankle. And we're just like took over the halftime mm. locker room and the head coach is doing nothing about it. I liked the guy, but he like, he just wasn't built for like confrontation because what he should have done was walk over there and be like, you two get out of here yeah. now, but he wouldn't. And it's because we've given the, the feminists such a long leash of like, you know what? Women really can't do anything wrong. You, you get to do whatever you want. And that's how I felt about it. I, I've never been mad. Like, I only coached for two years, but I that was the angriest I ever was as a coach, was watching mommy and auntie come interrupt the halftime football locker room. When Can yeah. you imagine you and me, like, Man. when we well, were in there? Some, something I noticed. Can you imagine what like, your dad would have said? Or McVeigh? Yeah. Or like, McVeigh. <laughs> like, in Midland, our booster club was a big deal. Like... When we were successful early, I mean, there'd be 100 people at, at a booster club meeting every Monday night. And, of course, it used to be called quarterback club. So the dads came. It was 90% men. You know, the last four years I was at Midland High, I was the head football coach. And I'm very appreciative of the moms that did all. They did a lot of work for us. Um, but that booster club meeting was 90% women. It was moms coming. And a lot of that was because of these young men um, being raised in single parent homes, you know, and, and we had some moms that really let us invest in their young men. And I think those guys are, are benefiting from that today. And we had some of the issues like you're talking yeah. about, and that was something, you know, it's kind of like, man, it wasn't like this when I got in no. and now it's starting to change. And, and I think that's, to me, it's even more important. You know, I, sp I spent five years on the, uh, uh, Texas High School Coaches Association Board of Directors. And I, I think the most important thing that I got out of that is understanding how important the job of coaching is. You know, I'm not in it right now. I've retired, but I work with coaches, and I, I make sure I tell them all the time, man, your job is so important. And it's not just about coaching football. And I'm saying 99% of the guys that I'm around, they understand that. There's yeah. a bigger calling to being a I coach. I would say it's even more important now than it used to be because there yeah. are you're, kids with no the father, father figure, figure at yeah. all. The closest thing. And parents are yeah. sending their kids to school and outsourcing the yeah. raising of their young men. Yeah. And you don't have well, time as a coach or a teacher to be dad. How many male teachers are be. there, though? But Not but very Sam, many. But you are. As a coach, you, you are. are. Yeah. Like, you don't have like, time to do not, a good job. Like, I it. never thought of, like, okay, 
we we'd have first period athletics start at seven seven o'clock practice kid shows up late a couple of days and and you're getting on to him man your job's to be here well coach i don't have a ride well your position coach he's going to come pick you up that may be a 30 minute drive to get him 30 minutes back to the stadium for practice i mean that's just how we operated as coaches so um you know i always encourage guys in the summertime go Every kid that you coach, you go to their house. You go look and see where they live. Understand what kind of situa what situation. Exactly, because yeah. you, you're going to coach all kids different. Some kids you can be really hard on. Some kids you need to be a little more empathetic with. But they're all coming from different backgrounds. And I think the, the number one responsibility of a coach is develop relationships with your players. And sometimes, I mean, it's like – you know, our dad, sometimes those conversations were really tough. Sometimes it was it was hard. <laughs> sometimes they were really sometimes good. Sometimes you got your ass whooped. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, you got to get your ass chewed, and I think a young man needs to learn how to do that. And and we're seeing that in the workplace today too. You know, when somebody faces it, when you make a mistake at work, do you own up to it or do you no, do you, do you, do you fold? Do and I think that's something that we've got to like continue to. I don't like owning up to it. My boss is mean. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, but there's taking ownership of anything is more. Right. But is you, but you, when obsolete. when you hear those stories over and over, you're like, man, what's going on? And I, you know, Sam, I've heard you guys talk a lot about schools, and and, and I'm I'm definitely a public school advocate. Um, but I went and worked one year in a private school, and I had a very good experience there um, on that campus. You know, what I, I mean, it was a Christian school. Um, I definitely. Um, value the things that that school was teaching, and it was it was an easier place to teach. It was an easier place to coach. Just the difference um, in kids, difference in expectation. I mean, that's the you know you hear guys say this: the standards, the standard. And what I've seen happen over thirty years is the standard has changed. Yeah. You know, in 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 public education, the standard has changed. I, I think there's. Um, overall, there's a lack of discipline. There's a, um, you know, I've heard you talk about some of the uh, academic expectations. expectations, and we've lowered those expectations yeah. to try to appease everybody. You know, I, I just remember thinking, man, if I don't complete an assignment, I'm going to fail this class. And it's my fault. And to my parents, if I went home, and griped about a teacher or griped about an assignment, my parents supported that teacher. And I'm I'm I think that standard's changed a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it's changed a lot a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm the first one to tell you I'm very hard on public schools and yeah. the system. I do think, and I have friends still here at Beaver that I think are just I think it's a valiant effort to be that guy who's there and trying to hang on to to this mindset that we all kind of agree with and try to instill that in these kids without homes. I just finally got to the point where, I don't know, I, I was looking at it from kind of a very cold statistical point of view saying like, okay, there's like, this is how many kids don't have homes. Yeah. This is what the, all the ACT scores are. Yeah. This is what we're not allowed to do anymore. And I finally got to the point where I was like, you can't like, you can't fix the boat that's sinking if people are coming around behind you and kicking holes in it. I would completely agree with and, that. And that's kind of where I finally got. But I, I definitely think that, like, the people who are still in that public school system really trying to make a difference yeah. in, in these kids' lives 
hats off to him. No doubt, no doubt, and that's but I, and that's, but I gave it up and yeah, <laughs> no, and, cool. and I get that it's it's a frustrating thing to see. I mean, when you think, and I think it's happening across the board. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's something everywhere. that's just Beaver or Midland or you know, it's just something that over the years I have seen significantly change. And um, is that going to accelerate in the next ten years? No, everything's going to magically get better. <laughs> Didn't she listen to the intro? <laughs> I, I think it will, but I, you know, I'm the pessimist. Ivan, you're being quiet in there, Mister Producer. You're the optimist. The glass is half full, man. I understand that, but I, I always, this is me challenging you and and everyone else. Like, tell me, give me the evidence where it's going to get better. You know what I mean? Like, like show me some sort of measurable evidence of improvement in society that's going to translate to improvement in the public school system i just don't see it and that's kind of where what's why i'm the pessimist like i don't i don't see it improving because i don't see the problems with single parent homes i don't see that getting better i wish it would i would love for it to i don't see it getting better the problem with kids not having any sort of moral religious yeah. founding, I don't see that getting any better. I wish it would, but I, I just don't see it unless there's some sort of revival, you know, that And I and I would say going from, you know, thirty years of public education and then I did the one year at the Christian school, that that's a big difference that you see, you know, in the private Christian school. And I'm I mean, like I said, I, I'm an advocate of public education because I know what it did for me, and I know uh, the impact that we've had uh, on kids in public schools. But I, th- I think that you're seeing – I know in Texas they're really pushing for the voucher system. You know, they're taking yeah. taxpayer money, and they're, they're allowed – It's happening in a lot of states They, they want to pump that money into private schools, to charter schools, to parochial schools, and uh, – you know, as a public school educator, it's heartbreaking. I mean, you're you're fighting yeah. for what you've, you know, every kid deserves that opportunity, and you know that when that voucher money goes to those private and parochial schools, that not every kid's going to get the the opportunity. But but you've also been there where you see that not every kid wants that opportunity. Right. And, and do we even have the resources to get to yeah. give everyone the idea of the everybody should have the exact same opportunity? That's great until you don't have the resources to do that anymore yeah. or until there's such a large percentage that are going to drag down the, you know, the median, the average that. Well, and I, I mean, Sam, to address that, I, I just I think my mindset as a person, even as a as a kid, to me, the equal opportunity was the opportunity. Right. It's not getting it. You got to go earn it. You got and. I just feel like whether it was teachers, my parents, you earn what you get. What everybody gets is the opportunity to go get that. And I, I think in society as a whole, we've gotten away from that. You know, we, we think that everybody deserves something. Yeah, the outcome. You deserve of the you, opportunity. You deserve the opportunity. Yeah, equity, Period. equity versus equality. And they're, I mean, they say it out loud. They say, well, equity yeah. is what we need. We don't need equality we need equity. That means yeah. everybody gets the same at the end, not at the beginning. And it's that thing of, you know, doing away with any sort of personal responsibility, which I think is a very, 
I think that's a a feminine driven thing of well this isn't fair that so and so you know is better or more capable than the other kid so we need to equal them out because that's more that's more fair and i think fairness is a way more women understand fairness differently than men do i think and i think men don't care about fairness as much as women because we are we have to be more competitive it's if you're a man you are forced into more competitions than than women are i think boy this one's going to get the ladies going out there they're going to be mad yeah <laughs> well i think you're in a more gritty environment yeah you know as a man i mean that, yeah that, that look, look at the, that look look at the homeless yeah, yeah. Look, look at the homeless how many people on the street are men versus women and why is that like if 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 men and women are exactly the same wouldn't there be just as many homeless men and homeless women well sure if they were the exact same it would be the same but if you're a woman it's a little easier to find some place to lay your head down at night because you have you have things that men don't <laughs> you know you have things to offer that men don't and it's just there's differences and one of them is if you're a man, you are forced to compete more than women. It's it's true for animals, yeah. it's true for humans, it's it's just true across the yeah. board. We Crystal and I live in downtown Midland. I see a lot of homeless men. Very seldom do I see homeless women. Yeah. Lots of homeless men in that area. I met a homeless woman one time, so there are some <laughs> of them out there. She pulled a knife on me. Yeah, that was an interesting <laughs> You story. gave her all your money, right? I didn't have any money. I was just wearing <laughs> athletic <laughs> Oh, man. Have you ever read about that, the rat utopia study? Yes. Is and that it's not like crazy? It's Explain this. You've read about it. I want to hear your take. While you talk so, about it, I'm going to go get a drink, and I'm going to listen. The highlights. Have you? John I, Calhoun I, uh-uh. was the scientist... Uh, and it was a behavioral study done in like 1968, 1970. Pretty much, I think how it went is gathered up a bunch of rats off the street, put them in a rat pen, gave them food, water, places to play, you know, just utopia. So it was called like the utopia, rat utopia study. And in... Like a hundred days, he took the maybe like the playthings away, and they just became they just kept getting lazier and lazier, and pretty much by the end of it, they were uh, they quit reproducing. Like this all happened in a year, maybe less. I may be wrong on some of it, but no, this you're is the doing, high you're, points. you're about right. They quit reproducing. They turned uh, gay. Yeah, there was some gay rats. Gay rats. Um, and then the started, title of the episode gating <laughs> each other, uh, pretty much like what social a rat apocalypse, right? A complete collapse of the utopian rat society. So because it's against the laws of nature, relates. yeah. And we used to believe the competition's in the laws done. Of the rats didn't have to compete for the female. They didn't have to compete for food for shelter. Everything's yeah. handed to them. And that's what that's the society that all that the people like, in charge want to build. Is that like socialism? Yeah. I mean, it's the same 
general idea, right? right. The idea is if we give the everyone gives you everything yeah. until they have control of you, right? Anyway. It doesn't turn out good for the listener out there. You you, you should read about it. It's pretty interesting. You aren't that, that different out. than the rats. I mean, we are different. We're created in God's image, but we well, still it's have. Already, the, I mean, it's that's partially happened. Right. I mean, you see people like how many people, the again the homeless people like, do they, do they really want to compete or do they just want to keep doing no, fentanyl I, until they die? I don't think they want to compete. I mean, either I mean, that's what I think every morning when I'm walking and I see them. Like, why are you not working? You know, and I want to. Sometimes I want to. You'd so like to ask. Him, I, right? I'd love to ask him. Hey, what what's your deal? But I'm I'm kind of like, man, I don't want to get I don't want to get into an altercation <laughs> here downtown and yeah, and uh, and create an issue. And I definitely you don't, don't talk to people. I don't want anybody to trash. pull a knife on me. And, right. And uh, isn't that right, Ivan? You don't talk to people digging through the trash. Nope. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were throwing a big fit about the truck parking, and I mentioned people digging through the trash in Beaver. Guess what Ivan encountered when he pulled up to the podcast studio tonight? Dude digging through the trash right out here outside. What was he looking for? I don't know. You didn't ask Why him? Are you... There was no, nothing, there was nothing good in there. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is... It's behind the podcast studio, the bank of Beaver, and the law firm. What is that guy looking for? Money shavings. But he, he went from our... Dumpster. He went. He hit to the all next three dumpsters one. Yeah, down all, the alley. all three dumpsters are in this alley. Are there a lot of those in Beaver, dude? They are everywhere. <laughs> this is what I'm. I'm telling you, like people don't understand. Like people who are insulated and who are living a normal life, don't understand how bad things have gotten for a lot of people in society. There's people digging through the trash in your little town. And this okay, is a different Sam. guy that digs it's through the that bad trash. Sam, of their decisions. Yeah, it's their fault. But I'm saying like. The, the wider implications of that are coming, yeah. and people aren't ready for what that means. Like, you're not going to be able to leave your car unlocked in Beaver for much longer. You're, there's already been some some break-ins and stuff, but you know what I mean? Like, Beaver used to be the kind of town you pull up on Main Street, run into Beaver Supply, you leave your car unlocked, because everybody does. We live in Beaver. Right. And that's, like, that's going away, because that, that high-trust yeah. society... That we've all come to understand and know is slowly going away, and who knows? In thirty years, we're going to wake up, and it's going to be like South Africa is right now, and that won't be a good place to be. But no. let me tell you about my idea for a private security company. Yeah, I think that's where the future lies. Does it? Blue Sage Services Security. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear about it. Oh, we will keep people from breaking into your house, I guess. I don't know. We'll round up all the people digging through the trash and so we just take, take the, them to liberal. Take the musket? We'll probably just leave the musket on the wall. We have better <laughs> stuff now. You relocate them like, like you do uh, the immigrants that have come in, yeah, the illegal immigrants. Like, you reload. You get a bus. And you, you send them somewhere You else. offer them a backpack with, hey, here's all the stuff you need. We're going to put you on this bus, take you somewhere else. I, I Honestly, I think that happens. I see that downtown. Yeah. Like you'll see these buses. I, I think they're prison buses that have bars on the side. They'll, just, they'll take people downtown. They them up they'll and drop take them, them off by the bus stop and – They'll hang around downtown for two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden they're gone, and a new wave of people come. And yeah, and uh, where do they so, go? I don't know. 
But I think of, get a job. Like, like they show up in Midland, and I think they're coming from like Austin, Houston, oh. you know, down in South Texas. They're just shipping just them that. off somewhere else uh, to get them gone. Yeah. Think about that. You remember when they went and dumped all those uh, immigrants off in Martha's Vineyard? You remember oh. that story? Yeah. They were there for what? A total of 24 hours? And they're gone because Martha's Vineyard, like, no, get them out of here. And it's funny to me that all those here, no, 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 all, yeah, all those people vote for that, but they want it in El Paso. They want it in Del Rio. They don't want it in Martha's Vineyard, but you got to take your hats off to them a little bit just to be so unafraid of hypocrisy. They're just like, no, F you get these Mexicans out of my community. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's, that's what they're they're saying. They're not just Mexicans. There's a lot of. Squatties and uh, Hondurans and Venezuelans, right? Africans, dude. They're just crossing the Mexicans lately. Yeah, it's the Venezuelans, not the Mexicans. With how many Venezuelans are coming across? How many Africans are coming across? I saw a deal. There's another train of them right now coming through Mexico. Yeah, riding a freight train. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Venezuela, a socialist country. I wonder why that people are fleeing that place like crazy, and they want to come here for opportunity. We turned this city around in 20 months. What is this? The New York City mayor. How oh, they they're all it. turned it into a sanctuary city, and then they and started then busting all fit. the people. Yeah. Play play this for the peoples. And then what happened? That's me. Started with a that's the madman down in is. Texas decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City. Hundred and ten thousand migrants. We have to feed, clothes. House, educate the t- children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crises and we're receiving no support and let me tell you something new yorkers never in my life have i had a problem that i did not see an ending to i don't see an ending to this i don't see an ending to this this issue will destroy new york city destroy new york city no shit we're getting 10 thousand migrants a month see and they're they're fine with it as long as it's not in it's their not, community because it's all it's, it's all theoretical to them it's like well theoretically yeah we should just take over does take he care of the whole world say that does he come out and say that or does he just blame the no, bad he man sa- in texas dude, he sounds like some redneck on the texas board i was about like, to say he, he just sounded very republican yeah. in that statement right there did you hear that i tell you what it is and i saw the clip this week that explains it better than anything else did you see the louis ck clip from joe rogan when he's talking about the border Ivan, did you see that? I haven't seen Louis it. Louis C.K., Joe Rogan, he says, let them pour across. Let them all come here. And the reason that he comes up with is this very, very liberal. It'll it'll help you understand the mind of that, that kind of white guilt liberalism of like, well, America should suck. Because the fact that America is better off than the rest of the world is bad. And that's what Louis C.K. is saying. Did you, did you find that? Uh, let me... I think it's that top one that you have up there. 
hit that out. It's it's certainly not balanced, right? No, if you look it's not at the, balanced. The top one percent of uh, the world is thirty four thousand dollars a year. That might be. Yeah. If you make thirty four thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one percent of the world. You're basically living in like lower income America. Right. Is the top one yes. percent of the world. Yeah. Which is crazy. It is. How and so, like, why is that? Uh, this well, was like a four minute clip. But... Lack but they're, they're both of them, Joe Rogan, whenever it comes to this issue, him and most of those comedians are all pretty far to the left on it. Yeah. But what Louis C.K. says is he said, let them all flow across because it shouldn't be so great here in America. And the fact that America has been so well off is because America, like the fact that there's poor people in third world countries where people are, you know, have low infant or high infant mortality rates and, and the, the third world is just less hygienic and people don't live as long and they're poor. He's like, in Louis C.K.'s mind, that's because America is better off and the West is better off. And that's, it's just a, Louis C.K. doesn't probably even know this, but it's just a Marxist worldview that has made its way into everybody's normal everyday life that they think, well, America is better off because America has stole everything from everybody else. And they don't understand how that's not the case. They, they they can't fathom the fact that like I don't know, that the that the South American countries that are third world countries, they can't fathom the fact that they're in a bad position because of the policies that that country has imposed right, on its exactly. people. They can't fathom it. They 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 don't think that way. It's and if you explain it to them, it's like, okay. Why are you they live, so blind? You live in a in a regular house, like a three-bedroom house, and your lawn's mowed, and you're a normal suburban person. Across the street is some guy who is, you know, a meth head who is beats on his wife and his doesn't father his children and doesn't mow his lawn and everything's a wreck. And when you look across the street at that guy, do you blame yourself for what that for what that guy's situation is? Well, of course you don't. They can't extrapolate that out to a societal level. They, they can't, I don't know why. I don't, maybe it's too simple, but that's really what it's like. When you have a country like Venezuela that passes all of these policies that ruin the country, it is the direct fault of all those people in Venezuela that voted for it, that put it into place, mm -hmm. that ran it. And for some reason, Americans look at that and they go, well, that must be our fault. It's like, are you, are you shitting me? Like, that's that's our fault that they that they passed. Like, they voted for it. And what's frustrating to, to me as somebody who really follows political stuff, what's frustrating to me is a lot of the people coming in from South America, and this is just statistically, statistically they vote blue. And that's the whole reason why the Democrats don't want to do anything about the border because they know you give them two or three more years and they turn Texas blue. And it's just a numbers game. It's all statistics. It's cold, hard math. And that upsets people because people don't want to think in terms of cold, hard math because people want to think, well, shit, if somebody's moving away from Venezuela or even like if somebody's moving out of California or moving out of some blue state and moving to Texas, well, they should know not to pass the same kind of laws and policies that they had there. But they don't. Like, statistically, they don't for some reason. I don't know what that reason is, but that's, I mean, that's the reason for they it. They don't know, they don't know. They don't know, they don't know. That's they don't it. know what they don't know.
And it's a sad deal, but I, once again, I don't, I don't see the, the solution for it. Mm-hmm. Like it, the Republican party can stand at the border and pass out flyers. It's not really going to do right. anything. Well, like, like West Texas, where we're from, I would say is extremely conservative Republican Midland's extremely Republican. I mean, mainly because it's so oil based economy, such an oil based economy, but Texas, 90% of the population lives in the I 35 corridor. I mean, in East Texas. So you're talking about Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, down towards Houston, that's 90% of the population. And typically that's where the urban areas are where you're going to see the blue. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, yeah. Texas is but definitely... But those people still control the... Like, they control the narrative, though. Absolutely. Like, here's yeah. a, a, an example from Midland. Very conservative place. But when it came up, hey, we need to change Midland Lee. Can't be Midland... It can't be Robert E. Lee High School anymore. we got to change that because that's that's not good. And what did everybody... Or not everybody, I'm sure. But what did a lot of people do? They changed it, didn't they? They did change it. And, and, and that's a symptom of, like... Even though you're that conservative, you can people who aren't hardliners can be talked into, you know. And it's been, I mean, there's been some backlash off that too. I mean, if you're a true, I mean, Midland's a community that's really divided between the two schools. And I would say it's a healthy competition. But the people that are Lee people, they're Lee people. They still call it Midland Lee. I mean, they'll, they'll call into a talk show radio. Good for them. And, and they'll say Midland Lee. So it's not. Um, it, it probably cost the last educational bond, in my opinion, it cost them the bond because that school board passed that name change, that single-handedly swayed that bond. The people that were Lee um, advocates, they didn't want the name changed. And yeah. Well, um, good for them. I mean, and, the, I, and, and I think they still stand by it. I and mean, that's one of those things, like, that was happening the same time they were tearing down all the statues. And there was a lot was of people. Never thought of as being a racist thing. No, no, not like, even like the people that live thought. in that community. There's not a thought at all. As a matter of fact, I, the demographics of both high schools there are very similar. Um, you know, we have an African American population there in Midland, and I, a, a lot of them. Half I mean, and half. I would. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that there's probably more African American students at. Lee High, Legacy High School. I still have a hard time calling it Legacy also. We're going to call it Midland um, Lee. Yeah. I mean, me being a Midland High guy, you know, it's... Uh, it's kinda, That's not your it's, problem. It's, it's, it's kind of entertaining to me sometimes <laughs> to kind of see that. But, I mean, there's a great history, great t- tradition there. So a lot of people, I mean, they, they wanted their, their kids to go to school there, whether they're white. But I, I can promise you this. There weren't any African-American students that left that campus because, because it was called... Right. You know, Lee High School. That. Well, and there was a lot of people back when they were starting to tear down the statues. There was a lot of people on the right that were Republicans were that were kind of like on board with it. That were like, you know what? Yeah, we should we should get rid of all that because those guys were traitors. Those guys were bad guys. And yada yada yada. And then there was other people like you guys don't understand this. Give them a give them yeah. a decade, and they're coming for George Washington. They're coming for all yeah. this other stuff well, that you yeah. like. And Sam, you- this kind of goes back to it, it goes back to football. It goes back to the locker room. As a coach, I have a really difficult time seeing that division in society because I don't ever see it in the locker room. I mean, our our teams may have seventy five. 
I, I'd say about average 75 kids on the team. You know, it's a, it's a 6A division in Texas. We had Hispanic kids. We had African-American kids. We had Asian kids. We had white kids. When they're in that locker room, I, I, I just never even thought that that was an right. issue on our teams. And I, I don't remember ever having an issue, you know. I remember taking jobs at schools where, like when we went to Hereford, there were people that told us, man, they've got a high Hispanic population. You're never going to win a state champ. We just never thought that way. Three years later, we're playing in the state championship. So it was kind of like, the. I mean, you, you just don't see it. I don't think you see it as much in athletics. I mean, to me, that's like the purest form of what society should look like. You know, you're learning how to be a teammate. You're learning how to be a yeah. brother. Kind of like the to, military. Yeah, how to take care of Everybody's each other. Everybody's from all these different backgrounds coming and, together on and a then team. You, and then you go out in society, and we want to make these issues. You know, I, I don't issues. know. Yeah. Societal drama. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say like a vast majority of people don't think about it at all. And then you have a, a small subset on either side that do. But the problem that we're running into, I think, as a country is that small subset of people that's on the left that do think about this are driving it as hard as they can and infusing it into everything they can infuse it into to kind of sway those 80% of people in the middle that don't ever think about it. That, that, that you know, still watch the NFL every week, well, still I, I, eat at McDonald's I mean, I w- and watch Hollywood stu- movies. I was stunned by this. It, it was, you know, the house that you and Jordan had in Midland on Rio. You yeah. know, there's that intersection of, uh, oh, I can't remember, by the fire station. Right. You know, and one time, it, it was during COVID, Crystal and I had been out of town. We were coming home, and it was a Sunday evening, and the traffic was unusually high on the loop you know, on the north side. And, and this was just, I was like, man, what's going on? It's Sunday night. Usually everything's dead on Sunday night. And it was during the Black Lives Matter protests. And that intersection of, uh, oh, it's it's the red light by your house, by that fire station. It's but mid-kiffin. it was completely closed off. There were armored vehicles there, like, you know, guys with, machine guns and i'd never seen anything like that or any of the protesters locals yeah i I think so i I, it was hard to tell it was up by the mall and they had it all blocked off kind of had them blocked in that area where they could protest in that area but i i just never it was shocking to me to see that in midland because i never felt like in that community that that was a true picture of how our community related to that right. i thought that was something man that's something happening in la new york right you know chicago i think it, the blm protests like shook a lot of people up yeah. because a lot of people just i have a cousin just same same mindset like this doesn't happen here and it was in wichita and all of a sudden like i think he was gone on some oh it happened trip in or wichita something. oh yeah really yeah and his, the blm protest was not that far from his house and all of a sudden, he's calling me up like the next week. He's like, "Hey, what do you know about AR-15s?" It's like, I know a lot. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> like, it was yeah. there's a lot of normal type kind of people that aren't aren't into all that stuff. But all of a sudden, the BLM protest kind of shook them up to the point like, man, bad things can really happen. And what I think is happening is like what I said that that small percentage of people who have power 
the the eighty percent who don't really care about it are usually like don't care about it, but are more easily led into stuff like that. And I think that's kind of where I, I think that's just the the human nature. I don't think you can get away with away from it. Really. Well, so with all this negativity I'm not negative. I'm are positive. there any positives? Yeah, we live in a town of like two thousand people. That's a but positive. Really? Is there anything? I think we have a very or good just... opportunity to have a like a resurgence of of good moral values. It's just gonna that be in a smaller really small Yeah, it's gonna be in a smaller subset of people. Like yeah. I, I don't think you're gonna get all the masses on board with with what America kind of quote unquote is supposed to be. Well, I, I think it's made people step back and look at their lifestyle and yeah. see um, like like several of your guests that have been on are talking about relocating into this area from other parts, you know, from DFW or from South Texas back into to Beaver. There's I, I see value in the way, Dylan, that you live. You know, and the way your girls are are living out there. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a long way from anything. You know, from the way I grew up in the city. You know, we always lived in major cities as a kid, as my dad got transferred around. But, I mean, I I see value in that, and I think families are stepping back and looking at what's really what they're doing. What what's important to yeah. us? What's um, I do think that's a positive. You know, I, think you're right. I mean, our number one responsibility as men is to raise our family, period. That's number one. And how my kids develop and how my grandkids develop, I have a huge responsibility for that. And I think people are taking a look at that, and I think there are going to be some that go, there's there's value in moving to a smaller town where I know everything that's going on and that in our community revolves around our public education and our churches. That's... I mean, to me, that's what it should be about. Or even smaller than that, even just if you get one person to go, you know what, it's probably not good if I just hand my kid a smartphone or an iPad and just <laughs> yeah. ignore you, you know what I mean? Like there are some people that are like, yeah, you know what, there may be something to that. Maybe I shouldn't just turn on the TV and walk away and let, let it raise my kid because yeah. that might not be good. Like there, there's some positives to it. I'm not completely negative. I think you're right. I think there's some positives. There's got to be. I hope. I hope so, too. It's just going to be well, a smaller I, a smaller microcosm. I mean, I it. think we've also got to look back at, in history, and, and, you know, the world's not a good place. No. I mean, there's not. I mean, there's always going to be strife. There's always going to be, um, you know, as Christians, we know that, that there is an answer, and... You know, I, I think we have to really, you, you've got to really think about standing for what you believe as a Christian and how you're going to implement that into your family. I mean, that's... I think we've been real lucky for a real long time, and a lot of people don't realize how lucky our culture and society has been. Like, we haven't really faced, at home, we haven't really faced all that many hardships or all that many trials, and not, life has not been pretty easy. Time. Not that? in a real long time. I mean, historically, you can see growth times. in America after hard times. You can go hard after time. World War One, oh, after World War Two. You're talking hard about times hard times create, create strong strong men. men. Yes, very true. Yeah. Have you read that? 
I know of the concept. I've not read the it's specific book. Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and, and it I, makes and biblical sense, to too. I think you read the Bible and you understand how that works. Like, there's this yep. cyclical thing of yeah. that's how it kind of works. And I think we're just, we are the people who are kind of on that downslope headed into maybe some hard times. And a lot of people are having a real hard time processing that we are headed into hard times and they don't want to face that. So they want to be like, well, no, everything's fine. There's no problems here. Like all that you're just being dramatic. There's nothing really well, wrong. And, the, and to me, the scary thing politically is I, I think a lot of people look at hard times and go, who's going to fix the hard time? Well, you are. You're going to yeah. fix it. I mean, you're it's like, re- if we just vote for the right, you're, family, you're responsible for your family. I'm responsible right. for mine. If, if, it's going to get fixed. It's going to get fixed by me. And it's not going to happen and in one election season either. Exactly. It's going to be like, if you want to fix it, that's great. But you're going to be dead before it's fixed. Like, if, if you want to fix it, it's a generational thing. You've got to raise up good children yeah. who hang on to those moral foundations, who are going to have children who are going to do the same. Like, this is not a, oh, if we just vote for Trump, he's going to fix all this. Like, that, yeah. ain't, no, that ain't how it works. And that's what a lot, it, it, too many it's, people it's have It's kind of like mindset. during COVID. You know, I, I mean, everybody's at home and we're, you know, the government sending checks out to everybody and we wonder why we're in, we're in a state of inflation right now. It didn't take a, I mean, I taught micro and macroeconomics at the high school level and, um, and, and taught it at an AP level for a while, but um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that when you print money and give it away, it's going to create a problem. Yeah. And that's what's happening. And we just, that's we where just we are. We're, we're, and we want the government to fix the problem. The government created the problem. And, and even like, not only did we just print money like crazy, we now passed, well, last week we hit $30 trillion in debt. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, like, I don't know, 2000. Eight nine people were talking about how insane it was. We were had like an eight trillion dollar debt, and then we had Obama, and people were losing were their like minds. Like, man, Obama has jumped the debt up to sixteen 14. trillion yeah, dollars. This is insane. And then we got Trump, and everybody was like, you know, Trump's kind of just hasn't really done anything about our deficit, and now we're at thirty. And that like, there's got to be a ceiling to it. You can't just keep printing money. It doesn't. I don't know. They've you done pretty do good it. at it so far. <laughs> I guess you're right. Ride the train while Creating it's chugging, lazy I guess. rats. Yeah. Looks like we need more politicians that listen to Dave Ramsey. I don't know about Dave Ramsey. Neither do a lot of those politicians. Hey, if it was up to Dave Ramsey, there wouldn't be any small farmers or ranchers in the whole country because he'd tell them all they were insane. No, he'd tell you to put 25% oh, down on the tell mortgage. You, you insane. <laughs> you can't I, mean, I, I agree with you. I like I like Dave Ramsey in theory, but he does have, like, I don't think he understands. He's one of those conservative-type people who, who don't understand that there's a whole bunch of people out there living life. Also, who, if you have a dad that teaches you correctly, he'll teach you what Dave Ramsey wants to teach right, you. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. That's true. But there are a whole bunch of people out there who who are not like who do not live for money at all. Like don't don't even really care about money as long as they have the money to raise their kids and raise their family and and live. They just 
they don't care about money that much, and I don't think Dave Ramsey quite understands. And where that. where does Dave Ramsey's plan uh, negate that? What you're trying to say? He's not telling. He's not telling you to go Dave out and be a millionaire. Dave Ramsey. To tell him what to, to Dave tell Ramsey us what would, to do. Dave Ramsey would tell like my dad that he's insane because of how my dad has operated his whole life, taking out loans to run cattle, and you know you're running cattle. You're not making a whole. The margins on running cattle are super small. Like you're you're breaking even most years, or you're not making hardly any money. And Dave Ramsey would tell you that's really stupid. But my dad, at you know age seventy, would look back and say, "I raised a good family. I raised two kids, and I did something I loved my entire life." Well, he's not saying Dave Ramsey wouldn't say that he didn't raise a good family and no, did all that. Dave he Ramsey just told would him, "Hey, don't he, do that." He'd probably just tell him, "Hey, you." You probably spent a lot of time doing something that didn't benefit you financially. That's right, but it ain't all about the money, man. And th- and that's really I'm not a good person opinion. to talk I, about money. Okay, I, I but we're money. we're talking we're talking about, about the national all. deficit here. We're not talking about whether raising a family and we a, should just print more money. I think. Yeah, and I and I do. <laughs> and there think, you go. I, you See, know, I, I've taught I I taught that's micro and macroeconomics in high school. We we did not teach personal finance. And I think that's what Dave Ramsey, it's a plan. I mean, and right now in most of the high schools in, in America, we're not teaching a plan. And that's what he brings to the table is a, a pretty straightforward plan. Oh. If you have a dollar, you can spend it. If you don't, don't spend it. And uh, I think it's been, I think it could be, you'd be shocked. You guys would be shocked if you were in a classroom and you asked an 18-year-old um, you know, high school student, about purchasing a car on a loan and or or going to college and getting a credit card you you don't even have a job and you can get a credit card yeah at, at, you know and it may be what happens if you get a card for zero percent interest for a year and then the next year the interest kicks in well they're gonna back charge you for all the months you had at zero percent interest because you didn't pay off the balance and the you can just see these kids' minds spinning like what are you what talking do you mean, about? Interest. What's so, interest? So I'm gonna pay nineteen percent <laughs> on that. Well how much is nineteen percent if you're paying your tuition on a I mean they don't get it. No, they, they don't I'd I'd say there's a reason I'd why say like ninety ninety percent uh, of all the kids I taught in economics don't get it. Don't. They don't have a clue. And when you teach that stuff, they're so interested. I mean, that's the best. You can teach them Keynesian economics or, um, you know, talk about inflation, how to beat inflation, why the Fed increases rates and stuff like that. But when you start talking about personal Personal finance finance. and things like, hey, when you buy your first car, when you go uh, to college, how are you going to finance or pay for college? They're interested. How come the public school system doesn't teach more? real life because it's a lot easier to control society if everybody's debted and mortgaged to the hilt well and i'm like in in texas you don't want people to be to graduate you have to have micro macroeconomics you have to have a semester of that did we you don't no you you don't texas is better than that well it it is and maybe the fact that you're teaching what that stuff is but to the average ordinary citizen you know when you talk about Keynesian economics, or you're talking about macroeconomics and how the government works. How many people really understand that? Not, Not very many. many. No. Personal finance. If you understand personal finance, you can get to that point. 
but it's almost like we teach it. Backwards. You can keep from ruining your if you, life. If you go to call, if you go to a university setting, who's taking micro and macroeconomics? Business majors. Mm-hmm. Period. No, nobody majors else or, is taking that. I didn't have to take it in yeah. college, and guess what? I didn't. I didn't take. I had to take one math class. That was, you should have had to take any financial peace university. Yeah. Is didn't what you should have had to take. Any financial classes. Now, if hey, you're, I'm if, at peace. Hey, check this. Now, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a registered voter and you're going to elect politicians, then you should understand Keynesian economics. I think I you mean, should also have a to registered be able to, voter. <laughs> Re- registered. Yeah. If you're going to be a if registered, you're register, I'm, registered <laughs> I'm registered. All right. <laughs> you know, I really don't. Well, me, I'm an extremist. I don't think a lot of people should be able to vote. Like women, I don't think they should be able to vote. And I don't think uh, people under the age of 25 should be able to vote. And I don't think people who don't own land should be able to vote. But like I said, I'm an extremist. I do think, though. Know who you that, sound like? Uh,. A person with common sense who understands how stupid everybody is. Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek doesn't believe women should be able to. Dude, there's not a major politician. He said in well, the one world. of one of his uh, things he's running on. He's saying that if uh, every adult, if you can't pass uh, above the age of 18, if you can't pass uh, a civics test, a high school civics test, that you shouldn't be allowed to vote. All right, I'll vote. I'll vote for Vivek. We can. I mean, Ever? it doesn't matter who we're going to vote for. Them. They're all going to lose, but we just. I'll vote for him. No, to him, to him the, like at the age of 18, you sh- whenever you go to register to vote, you should also fill out your little registration sheet, but there also also should be uh, civics test, like your basic civics test. And if you don't pass that, you don't get to register. I well, agree with that. What if you I think and we can I make it racing. even more simple. Like, don't give so anybody... That was the ACT, all right? Don't let anybody prepare for it, but when people come to the election... Like when they come in to vote, you ask them like one question, like, "Hey, what's the legislative branch of government do?" And if they can't answer it, you tell them get the hell out of there. Sorry, go home. I'd have to go home. Sorry. Well, you know what? <laughs> I really only think that people who know right. should vote. And you know, the first person who comes out and says and runs on repealing the Nineteenth Amendment, they have my vote. I'm entered. And I'm making every woman just see out there. <laughs> I know I have a lot of lady voters. It's not that what I don't like What does your wife them. think of this? Uh, I don't know. I, I think a lo- on a lot of things she'd probably agree with me. I don't know if she thinks that women shouldn't be allowed to vote. She would probably not like you, that. You think that or you just think that that was like the beginning I, of I legitimately of your feminism... I legitimately think that it's a bad idea just because of because of the differences in the sexes and how women are different than men. I do not think that women should be voting. I do not think that women should be holding public office. And I know that that pisses a lot of people off and makes people upset. Man's job. No, that's what I that's what I mean. Like. It's the man's that's job. Just, that's just hard to define. But it is. it's it's harder to define. But I will say this: like I also think that this is men's fault. Like it's our fault as a group, the fact that we have put so much on women, and all the especially in like the church. I don't know when it was a, a generation ago. Everybody decided that all the women should be like in charge of everything at church because all the men didn't want to be. They were just like ah. Let the women deal with it. Lazy rats. Yes. I, I think that it's men's fault, 100%, that we are in this situation. But 
that being said, like, yeah, I, I don't think women have the emotional capacity to lead a nation. I don't think it's a good idea. In fact, in the Bible, it says that women rulers are a, a sign that God is giving judgment to that people. And I'm a, you know, extremist. a biblical person, an no. extremist. But yeah, I just I think men and women are different, and I don't they think are. that I'm women trying to think of how I'm going to say, Sam. I don't disagree with that without not. Yeah, don't you don't have to jump in exactly hey, what Sam just you said. You don't have but, to jump into this swamp. You know, with this, me if you this, don't. this is like uh, this is just something I think that really impacted me as a young man. I, I was I got married young, and uh, Crystal and I, you know, Jordan was our first child, and we were really young, and we started our careers and. And I'll be honest with you, Crystal, I tell her all the time, man, you did such a good job of raising our kids. You did a great job of raising our kids. But, you know, there in the 90s, there was a, a, a promise keepers movement in yeah. the United States. Bill McCartney, the ex-coach from Colorado, led that movement. And, and I honestly did not want to go. My father-in-law invited me and... I think honestly, the only reason I went was that Bill McCartney was a coach, and I wanted to hear what he had to say from a coaching standpoint. And it changed my life. When I went, it was in Denver, Colorado, and he talked a lot about the role that a man has in the spiritual, the mental development of their family. And I, I left there convicted that. I should be the leader. I need to, do I need to be the yeah. leader of my family. If my kids are going to develop spiritually, it's going to be because of the standard that I have. And I'm going to make sure that they grow up in a church that's that's teaching the principles that we believe in. And I, I really believe that changed our marriage. I mean, it it wasn't bad. I just think at that point in my life, I felt like my role was to work and bring home money, make sure we can live. And yeah. and Crystal spent so much more time with our kids. They're built. Women are better at that. And and I really believe that, I, I believe women want that. I believe they want you to take the lead. I believe that they want you to be strong. Absolutely. I believe that they want you to be a problem solver. And not saying that life's always going to be good, but they want to know that when something's not going right, that you can can help solve the problem right. or that you even want to solve the problem. And I'm not even saying and, it's always the case yeah. either cuz there are like I think there are women who are way more well equipped to yeah. to do some sort of jobs other jobs than men. I even think there's like some women that are more well equipped to to be a professional well, than yeah. men. Yeah. I just don't think that there's I don't think that women should have certain roles that have to do with with like uh I don't know the the leading of the country, or or <laughs> voting. <laughs> see, see, when you say that, I think of like when our opportunity comes to vote. I feel like we vote as a household, which I think is the My, way it ought to be. I, I I don't. I just don't remember any time that we. What are you doing back there, man? I'm applausing for that comment. <laughs> oh, we you we, had we just button. never. We discussed it so much before it actually happened that we were on the same page. Yeah. So whether Crystal voted or I voted or both of us voted, we voted as a family. That, that's the way I saw That's We voted for our value system yeah. 
more than anything. And I think that I, would probably be the best system is one vote per household and a household being man and wife. Yeah. I think and, that that idea is being floated around right now. And then you might wait it. Like if it's if you have kids, your votes waited a little mm-hmm. more. If you're single, your votes waited a little less. Like Did you vote for Bill Clinton? <laughs> no. Why'd you ask me that? <laughs> Just curious. Hey, Bill no. Clinton was pretty charismatic. Back yeah, he was a time. smooth talking son of a gun. I, I don't like that's another thing. Like I ask Monica. I rail a lot. <laughs> I rail a lot on like on politicians and stuff, but there's certain people who like got voted into office that hey, were what very about the charismatic. Dress code? What about that? That oh, the Fetterman guy. Yeah, and they dropped. The <laughs> Dude, dress you know what code? I think they should do? I think it's Lauren. And... I think Lauren Boebert. You know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Oh, big titty Lauren. <laughs> I think she should go to the to the floor of Congress wearing a string bikini and let's really test out this dress code. That's what I think. I don't think they're gonna say there's a bunch of pervs there, so they're gonna enjoy it. Well, that's what I mean. Like, let's if it's gonna be a clown show, let's make the clown show as clownish as possible. What, what's the Lauren Bobert for this wear guy? A, wear a string bikini, his, get Ted Cruz in a speedo or something. I don't know. I saw him, and he had on like those nasty like slip on ropers. You know what I'm talking about? Dude, like, he's a slob. Like they were the step below, like hey dudes. It's all part of his. <laughs> what I'm saying. It's all part of his act, though, dude. Like, it's not like he's not wearing a suit because he just doesn't want to wear a suit. That it's like this is a, this is a political strategy. You. Yeah, like okay. this is a political strategy for him. Like, okay, let's see how this works with him. He's gonna be the man of the people. Like, he's the guy in Pennsylvania who is like winning over the moderate. Are mad, right? Did you see right. how Rand well, Paul really, went? They uh, voted for him. Sam, did you see how Rand Paul went to, uh, to work the other day? No, did he? Did he? Nice. <laughs> but this is our. Is that government. real or is that an AI generated image? I don't know. This went viral. I like how it's, today. it's got him like he looks like he's a, a Roman senator. He should he's probably have, the closest he have thing pajama to pajama pants on. He'd look like a high school student. You know, if we're talking yeah. about Rome, like Rand Paul is probably as close to Cicero as we have, and which is sad because Cicero gets killed by. Uh, Caesar. So there's a couple of pictures of old Johnny Boy. Old Fetterman. Lurch. <laughs> I'm not even sure that he's the same guy. Like, there's been a lot of conspiracy theory that he might have got replaced with a body double when he had that stroke or aneurysm or whatever he had. Replaced with what? A like, body double. Yeah. You know, like, like Saddam Hussein had, like, like three guys. Like Right. I think that... I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I and I don't... That. And I don't know why... Like, pe- you say that and people are like, that's insane. I was like, do you understand the historical precedent that's already like this has happened a lot of times in a lot of places and a lot of countries throughout human history where a leader has been replaced with a body double or has yeah, that way. Or is or has had like uh two or three people that represent him in public. Like Saddam Hussein had two or three. And so All that's kinds not of Fetterman in the Carhartt. I don't know. It might be, but I I don't blame people who who are buying into that conspiracy theory because it's completely plausible. So that he might not be. Another topic that I wanted to talk about is that all you right? You need to talk some more. Is that I'm okay? talking too much. Get in here. Yeah. Um, you need to get another. How's drink the deal in with Beaver and truck parking? 
Well, we're on the agenda for the next meeting. Are we really? Yeah, I went to... Do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah, I need some support out there because it all boils down to numbers. Pretty much, they told me that the reason they had this, they started enforcing the rule was because there was more people there complaining than the truck driver, you know, fighting for his position to be able to park his truck at home. But I'm not a... Like, I don't live in town, number one. And number two, I don't know if you're some... If I'm somebody that anybody wants on their side in some sort of popular election scenario because i just said i don't think women should be able to vote ivan i was genuinely curious like how that was going well it's going i'm on the agenda navarre's trucking's on the agenda for the next meeting so whenever you go to your first board meeting right uh at the beginning of it they'll ask if there's anybody from the public uh ready to or wanting to make a comment about anything so you're allotted three minutes to address the board and say whatever problem or issue you want to raise they give you three minutes to kind of state your case and then they'll tell you thank you for coming we'd put this or whatever if you want to if we'll put this we can put this on the agenda for the next board meeting and then they'll address it then so, so you've already done that, or you're doing that this meeting? No, we did that uh, about last week, I think. So you're so, on the agenda. Yeah, we're on the agenda. So now by being on the agenda, that gives it its proper due time that you can uh, you discuss. Get to talk. Well, you get, yeah, you get uh, more than three minutes to go back and forth, bounce ideas around, propose different uh, amendments to the city ordinance, and then the board can take a vote. And see where it goes from there. Shall we talk about our plan to slowly and secretly infiltrate all positions of local government on the podcast or off the podcast? (laughs) You can talk about it. I mean, that's what it takes. I honestly think that's that's the best and only solution for government is at a local level to take control of government. No, and it's it's like you say, Sam, that, that there's a very small portion of people that are the ones causing all this drama. But what happens is they have the ear of the media, which is a big hand to play. And that's why all these people, it's like uh, Mike was saying, right? Who's Mike? I don't know. Oh, oh, I didn't catch his name earlier. I forgot. Tim? Tim. 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, Tim, I got Mike. a lot of buttons. Tim, I have a lot of buttons to push back here. Anyways, <laughs> you're doing a great job. He was saying, he was saying, like, that's well, microphone. That's what you're reading. Yeah, it's yeah, the mic, the mic. Mm. But no, he was saying what was going on in Midland at that time didn't reflect what he had seen in that community for a long time. But what happened? It was flamed by the media yeah, driving definitely. that whole narrative that divided and it just fueled everybody. But what was going on? There was the pandemic. A lot of people weren't working. Everybody was tuned into their TV, their phones, whatever. And what did it, it brought a lot of rage out in people that wasn't the norm. But they're louder. They're true believers. And whatever it is that they're pushing, they are true believers in, in that narrative. So now that you're registered to vote... Um... <laughs> Are we going to get you on the school board or the city council? I think we need a seat in both. Well, like you can only be on one seat, and I'm not allowed to be on any seats because I live in the country. I, I guess I could. Well, I can't run for school board. My sister-in-law is still teaching. Whichever one, whichever one I can get on, I'm going to get on either one. And because I, I there's no way I would get elected to the school board because I'm so on the record for homeschooling that it wouldn't work. Like. People wouldn't vote for me. 
Especially once they heard I, I didn't I think, think women you, should vote. They you, would you'll find like a lot more support from people than what you think. Because I'd never considered even running for any of these positions. But what is it? What's what's happened? We keep talking about this stuff and we figured out solutions that the solutions is you have to start. If you, you have if to you be see, there. If you yeah. recognize the problem, it's kind of like being the leader of your family. You also have to step up and be somewhat of a leader in, yeah, in the you community. You don't have to secretly take over the government. You just have to get involved. Exactly. What if I want to secretly take over well, the local call government? Call it what you want, but it's really I want just to openly being take over. This isn't a secret. We're <laughs> this network is going to take over the local government. Yeah, Dylan's going to run for school board, city council. What are you going to be, mayor? No, you can't. You don't live in town. Mayor of Knowles. Knowles. Well, we could just move this whole party to Knowles and form our own society over there, which I honestly think is the best solution. <laughs> Start our own Knowles School. The Knowles School for kids who can read good. I like it. Other than, I, I don't know, we were looking through Harper's Journal earlier today. and Her spelling's not really up to par. <laughs> she's, got, she's got some work. Yeah. Is she, is she a five-year-old? I'm not the best one for spelling. She's seven. Seven years old. Wow. Going on eight. Yeah, we determined today that she's seven. <laughs> we had to discuss yeah. that. <laughs> So I'll teach yeah. some courses. I, I'm not like, don't give me any kids until they're at least 16 because I can't deal with them. Before Sam, what are the, what are the That's odds your I kids am. go to public school? The odds my kids go to public school, yeah. 0%. In high school. You really think Even so? Even in high 0%. school. 0%. So, yeah. so if there's a. We're almost going to do it. We, we've, me and Aaron have made this decision. At this how, how do you, Sam, how do you handle like you have a high school student that's upper level math or something that you, I mean, she's you, smarter than you. Yeah. Well, my wife is like there's is areas that I, I wouldn't have figured I, that I would be in, capable of teaching. I'm, I'm a very lucky person because between me and my wife, as far as any sort of education thing, be it from English and history all the way to any sort of math you would ever want to teach all the way to college level, I have that covered with me and my wife, which is like I understand that I'm different than other people. Like, yeah, not everybody's married to a math wizard like I am. And not everybody, you know, is interested in all this stuff that I'm interested in mm-hmm. on an education level. Like, I understand that I'm, like, I just, not everybody's in the position I do am to be able to do this. That, that they're going to be weird? They're only going to see one person or two people's opinions? No. Or hear two people's thoughts? No. Because I, I no. Because when you... What about when I'm they, not worried about the opinion side of it. What about when they do here so they go to college, right? Probably not, but maybe. Alice Depending goes on the, to college. But, you, but I would guess you'd some be pretty selective on the college because I heard yes. in the last podcast with the Lutheran yes. pastor, yeah, yeah. you discussed that. My going sis- to Brigham Young. My, my sister no, I, no. homeschooled her son, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think early on I was a little worried, like, man, how's this – Socially Your sister work. was yeah. Homeschooled? They lived. They live in Plano, mm-hmm. uh, DFW area. Oh, she and, homeschooled her kids, and they had a co-op. So, like when he wanted to take physics, there was another family that they taught physics, and my sister was probably more geared towards like. So they had interaction English. with other kids. Then some. I would yeah. really like to get that sort of yeah. thing, like a it, co-op it was, situation. It was a going. co-op. But yeah. a very small one is what I want. Yeah, but you know, I mean, kids today too, they need experience like. Like our uh, our youngest uh, son graduated from Texas A and M, and I 
I tell people all the time, I think it was money well spent for our family simply because there was a semester that he was completely off campus and did an internship. That was part of his requisite prerequisite to graduate. And not every university does that. And I, I don't know. I, I can see value in homeschooling from that standpoint to where you can take I think your it kid and go, hey, I want, you, I want you to go spend a month at Blue Sage. And I right. want you to go spend a month, you know, learning how to operate heavy equipment. And I don't know, just growing up, I was pretty sheltered, I guess, you know. I mean, my dad wasn't real mechanical or my dad. And that's stuff that I would really have liked to have learned. I learned a lot of the stuff from my wife's dad, you know, so it's after I was 20 years old of, you know. Home, Those are some home, great stories, by the way. Home remodel. <laughs> what do you mean? Just stories you've told. I don't think Bruce is listening to this. you. Yeah, Bruce, yeah. I was, they have a water well drilling company, and that just, I'm, I'm, I wasn't mechanical at all, but he, he wasn't very patient with me. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I'm a little surprised. I told him one not very long ago. So I'm really kind of surprised you let me marry your daughter. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think he thought I was very smart, you know, in that regard. But I'm, I wasn't. I, I didn't want to be a water well driller my entire life. Right. That just wasn't my deal. But um, when it comes to the schooling, I, I'm not worried about it. Just because, like, even after, you know. We've seen some homeschooled kids. Yeah, let's be real. They're awkward. Dude, I know some weird homeschool kids, but they're not. They're weird because, like, first off. So you're like, if my you kid, really openly have seen that and know how to not. Mitigate that? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I think that, like, I don't think the public school system, the way we, like, everybody knows it. Everybody's so used to it that they've kind of decided that it has to be that way. Or their kid's going to be awkward. Right. But if you look back, like if you go back not even that long, like 100 years ago, you still had a whole bunch of kids that were like growing up on farms and ranches, spending every single day with their parents. Like, and then to me seem way more well-adjusted than kids yeah. these days. You, you can't tell me today that education has advanced so far that people today are so much more intelligent than They're they not. were 50 years ago. Right. I don't believe that. Which I, is why I think that, that just, public school still is like really important because there's a whole bunch of people that are not equipped to teach their kids. They're just not because like, they are not educated in any sort of way. But we're to the point now where the, the public education system, and I'm talking about as a whole overall – you can't tell me that kids nowadays are graduating college with more rigor, intelligence, rigor, writing abilities, reading comprehension, ma even math and sciences than they were even during the, the Civil War era. Go read some letters from guys who were writing home during the Civil War to their to their wives or their their girlfriends or their yeah. kids like they they were on they went to school until they were eighth grade and they were better educated than ninety percent of kids that are coming out of high school today. And as far as them being like maybe a little weird or a little awkward, I would take that over being like exposed to the kind of stuff that kids who live their entire life online are exposed to now. 
because the kind of stuff kids see that like if if you're one of those parents that keeps your kids kind of insulated from that that's great but most parents don't like most of those kids going to high school everything that's anything of their personality comes from the internet yeah. and the internet has raised them up and the internet is i don't know it's a dark place like it, it is it's it's, it's not scary. it's worrisome do you worry like when kids high school age and it's prom night or you know some those activities football games basketball games i think you, you can be like man did we did we cheat our kids i'm a little of- i'm a little bit worried about that but i think that can be replaced with non-public school activities like what i don't like this is something that I don't think is bowling team or see, what? I, I think like, I think doing, Sam doing sports outside, doing clubs outside of public schools, which isn't sports, it's not like, big in America. I, I think it's I hard think to see in so, Beaver, but it's huge. So many people are starting to homeschool that this areas. is growing. Yeah, what? I mean homeschooling. I, is I, huge. I spoke to a lady last week at a school that I was at, and we were you know we were dealing with a, a, a jacket that her student was buying. She had a junior high age son that does not play athletics in the school. It's in a club setting. I mean, it's she's like, we made our kid choose this or this. They chose the club setting. So if you live in a – I mean, I think Beaver would be a little more difficult to yeah, do that. it would be a difficult area. But in the urban areas, it's something that, you know, like when I was on that board of directors for Texas High School Coaches Association, it, it's an, it's a competitor now. I mean, it's something that you're concerned about as a and professional it's coach. And that's, yeah. that's the other reason I think I'm more comfortable with it is because homeschooling is just growing right now. More and more and yeah. more people are doing it. So my uh, my thought is that here in 10 years, when my daughter is 13, there will probably be a lot more opportunities in that vein that you're talking about than there are right this second. I just haven't seen that. Not saying that it's no. Not I'm there. I'm with you. I, just, and, and I, I haven't either. And I think I a part right, of it but. depends on what your kids are interested in. I mean, you're going to see them develop an interest in things, and you know. But there, there is, and I'm saying this as a coach. There's an unhealthy, like, expectation for high school athletes of parents who think that those kids are going to go play at another level it's and this is something that was lost not even in high school it's sick to see like it it made me grade school right it made me really concerned when you know like what what's wrong with saying hey i want you to be the best beaver duster that you can be I want you to be or, the best hey, Midland Bulldog hey, that you can be. Be a kid. Have fun. Any, enjoy yeah. these Anything sports. that happens after that, you're an outlier. It's, it's something that's so hard to get to. And to be honest with you, when you go to the next level, there's, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. You're going to spend, like, I, I don't really feel like I had a college experience. I played college football. That's what I did in my spare time. I went to class. I, I went to football practice. Yeah, it's a, it's like a job. It is a job, and it's you spend a ridiculous amount of hours doing that. So you better love doing it. And it, you know, if you're doing that at, if you're doing that at Texas A and M in front of eighty thousand people on a Saturday afternoon, it's probably pretty cool. I played at West Texas 
A&M, West Texas State back then, we had more people at my high school game. Yeah. It was yeah. work. I, I, I mean, remember it was going, now it did, and I'm appreciative. It paid for my school. I, I'm very appreciative of that. I don't. Ex, I didn't expect anything else out of that. Players today get so much more. But what happened to man? We we want to represent Beaver. We want to represent Midland. Yeah. I mean, as we we have an unfair expectation that we're placing on kids. Yeah. I remember going and talking to when I was a freshman, I thought about just walking on at Southwestern and I remember going and talking to the coaches and stuff and kind of hearing about it and then talking to a couple of guys that were playing and thinking like, this doesn't sound like it's just going to be <laughs> as fun as it was in high school. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a lot more work. Not just we believe. Yeah. And I wasn't going to be like, I was like, it's not like I was going to start number one. I was going to be scout team. Like, all the, linemen, all the linemen, all the weighed three hundred and twenty pounds, and yeah. I weighed two forty. Like I wasn't gonna well, play. I, I've coached a lot of kids that have gone on and played Division One football, and I we we had a kid that went and played for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, from Midland that was a running back. Man, every one of those kids would say, "Coach, the best time I ever had playing high school was at Midland High, yeah, and or or wherever they went to school." So. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think that's an experience that's really important, but there's so many areas that we're responsible to develop our kids, whether it's fit, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, you know, that we we have to try to address yeah. with our kids. I, I definitely see that market. I, th- I think the whole school market grows. Really? I really do. It's going to be tough in rural America. Yeah. What do you think, Ivan? I think I think Sam buys into a lot of fears going on in bigger societal problems. I think here in Beaver, I don't think that's. I think we have a great community, like group of friends right now. Like yeah. last weekend at, at the baby shower out there at the place, like yeah. that was kind of something that I think me and you kind mm-hmm. of in our early twenties. That's what we wish we probably would have had even at an earlier age. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Uh, how many times was it me, J, me and you were the only ones in Beaver? For the longest time until people yeah. graduated and some people started moving back. And then we had times like, hey, just what you're holding down the fort. Hey, <laughs> exactly. You know, we were there last weekend and Crystal and I talked about yeah. that going home. Just like, man, there just seems like a solid core of, uh, of people. And, you know, like I said, I'm an outsider looking in, but um, that that's important. You know, you need, you need that in your life because – you're actually raising each other's kids. You're right. helping each other's kids. And, and as you know, I, I think in the homeschool environment, I think for that to be successful, you kind of have to have that co-op that comes together. Right. And, um, you know, my, my sister's son, Ben, I mean, he's turned out, he's, he's a solid young man. You know, That's he's, good. he's in the ministry, just... he's in the ministry and he's well-educated. And, and my sister was way smart. I mean, my really? sister didn't have a – she's got an associate's degree, but she she was way better I've at just seen so education much than me. weirdness <laughs> come from that. that, that the reason I'm not concerning. too worried about it is, like, I, I know the network of people that I have, number one. Number two, I know the family. Like, my family that my kids are going to grow up in are, is very, you know, gregarious. Like, a lot of personality. Very what? Gregarious. 
That's, explain, a, that's a new one. Explain that, Mr. Engelman. Gregarious is like, uh, I don't know, like a big personality. Like you're you're very outgoing and, and well-liked, I think it is. That is a good point. Don't look it up, Dylan. Gregarious. Gregarious. <laughs> but, still, but um, like, I, like my kids are going to grow up in a family oh, yeah. with a whole bunch of cousins, with mm-hmm. a lot of family around. Like right now, my kid. Fond of company, sociable. Sociable. There you sociable. go. Sociable. Yeah, so my kid stays with uh, her, my wife's mom on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, stays with my aunt on Mondays and Fridays, stays with my parents on Thursdays. And my second one is coming in May, also a girl. Ben and Emily are having a boy in March. Um, I think Hunter and Alexis are already working on it. I don't know. You guys try a little harder. Let's get it going. Talk to uh, Jacob. Good. But he had hey, some good, good people podcast. should have a lot of kids. But I, I'm I'm not worried about them being socially awkward because of the, I don't know the the, the gregarious I, influences the tribe I live in. You know what I mean? And yep. then not just that, but outside of that, like all the friends I have, all the families we hang out with, and like I think that I'll be able to have enough activities outside of just me and Aaron that they're going to be just fine socially. And, I mean, you look at all these people who are, like, super successful. Like, look at all the people who run everything, the elites and everything, who are telling you how, I don't know, all these big champions for public education that are, like, politicians, they don't send their kids to public school. No. They homeschool them, or they send them to private school. And I, I know, and this is... I'm trying not to be a dick but i know that the quality of education that my two girls are going to get at home with their mom is better than the quality of education they're going to get at the public school it just it just is and not everybody is like that but that's how i am that's how my that can't be changed no like i don't trust anybody more than my wife to to teach my two daughters and i don't trust anybody more than me to teach them things at a Do high school level that I want you would have been them. homeschooled? Um, it's not that I wish I would have been homeschooled. I think if I would have grown up now in the society and culture that we're in now, it might have been more beneficial for me to be. Really? You don't look back and see problems on No, I, our we education. still had. No, we still had like we had some problems, I think. Not any like really big ones. But I think that the issues the issues that are that I'm talking about that we're facing are not so much issues in the public school, they're issues in society. I agree. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, don't if think it's the if fault. You, if of your the kid public goes schools. into a workplace and works with forty other employees, those same issues are in those workspaces yeah. that are in public school. Yeah, I, I'm not. See, like, I don't. I don't think I'm you should be so much so scared much. of the public school. You should be more scared of where you're going to send them to college to. I don't. I don't know that my girls are going to go to college. You can't shelter them forever. I'm not going to shelter them forever. That's the other thing. Like I, I understand that you have to let your kids go out and see the world, and I, ex- I intend to do that for sure. But I want them to be prepared for that spiritually and morally before they do, which you cannot do at a super young age. You can't prepare your kids for all the darkness they're going to see when they are in sixth, seventh grade. Like they're just not, they're not prepared for it yet. 
I think, and Ivan, I agree with the statement that you made about the university, but I, I also think as a parent, like you, you send your kid into situations and you hope that you've prepared them well for what they're going to hear. Like, Hey, you're going to go into the university setting. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of ideas and they may, they may, um, they may vary from what we stand for as a family. They're going to conflict now, with now your... We're, exactly. Yeah. Now, to prepare your kid to deal with that, I think, is is really important. Because yeah. they are going to... they are going And not to, a lot of um, people do. Right. Like, a lot of people just kind of assume well, that their kids are going to go off to school I mean, and be I, the I'll, same as I'll when they I'll give you an example. I've got a, a lady that works with me in our uh, our, our letter jacket sales... She's a retired teacher. She sends her daughter to a Christian university after four years in a degree. That's as liberal a place as you. Yeah. They're extremely disappointed in what happened while their daughter was at that university. At a Christian university? At a Christian university. Let's wow. put so, it in quotes because yeah, most of them are exactly. Christian universities. So, and, and she would, I mean, she would be the first one to stand up and say it was a mistake the that, the that mom, we sent her, the parent, the mom, and the daughter. Yeah. What's the daughter say? Same thing. She stayed grounded. Did no? She turned was, liberal. That's she was no. I, I don't think that she completely turned liberal, but I think it made Just her saying it was I, a liberal I th- school. I, I think it made her question a lot of a lot of her beliefs. And I think before they go, I mean, you're talking about 18 year old kid. I right. mean, there there's going to be some things that they question in life. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, at that age, I, I mean, all of us went through that. But there's also a foundation that, if that foundation's there, you're going to revert back to that foundation. Like when you hear uh, somebody that's, that's not speaking 18, the truth, yeah, can you discern, like, that's why that's, that's not, not the truth. That's not the truth. And that's, that's why I kind of started talking about like ideas at the beginning. Like, I mm-hmm. want to teach my kids, my Allison. We haven't decided on name for number two. I have a name, but Aaron doesn't like it. But anyways, you want to hear it? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll settle for Is a this like name. a Civil War name? No, it's a biblical <laughs> name. Uh, JL. JL? JL is the woman in the Bible who saved Israel by driving a tent stake through the bad king's head while he slept in their tent. <laughs> like, that's the name. And Aaron's not. JL? JL. How's that spelled? J-A-E-L. JL. Aaron doesn't like it, but anyways, yeah, then it's I, not happening. I want to, I want to teach my <laughs> girls happening. like all the ideas that I believe in, that we believe in as Christians. Mm-hmm. But then once I've taught them their base, I'm going to come at them with like, okay, here are all the other things that people believe. I'm going to present you with these ideas, and then I'm going to explain to you the problems with these ideas. When it comes to to Marxism, to socialism, to even to to liberalism, just even classical liberalism, like these are the ways classical liberalism doesn't really line up with your Christian worldview, and I that's that's the way I'm going to prepare them to go out in the yeah. world. In my imagination, they're you know they're three and still in the oven. So, so do you think now, whenever we talk about Christian, should we define? Christian or traditional Christian? I don't think there's a, such a thing as a non-traditional Christian. I think there's a lot of people out there calling themselves Christian that ain't, but I don't want to really 
wade off into those weeds and piss everybody else off. I already said women shouldn't be able to vote. What, you, well, this, what this, else do you want from me? This, this, this plays to what Tim was saying about how you think because you're sending your kid to a new like to a Christian, a Christian school. university now. Yeah. What has uh, what has uh, as a Christian faith? What is it that we we have to be tolerant of things, right? I don't. I don't know about the rest. <laughs> No, to think about it. Now it's turn the other cheek. You can get offended. Uh, the people can offend you as much as you want, as long as they're not doing bodily harm. Where is uh, as Christians? Where where is it that we're going to start drawing the line? Uh, it's an open question in, to anybody in your own families. Like you're going to have to teach those things at a this at is a, right. This is wrong at a micro level before you get to a macro level. Because all of these things we talk about, the social kind of breakdown socially, the church is not immune to it. The church is doing it too. The church no. is going through it too. So, and once again, as I said before, I don't see any reason why that's going to get better. Like any any evidence why it's suddenly no, going to get hope, better. But but there has to be resistance though. That's what I mean. The hope is in the resistance, and that's what I'm talking about. Like the. the the hope that I'm looking forward to is the is the homeschooling, is the doing it differently than the world is doing it. Like this is this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like homeschooling and, and getting my kids away from the the rest of society the influence. at large is like I I want my kids to understand that as Christians you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Which it used to be a big Christian value, but nowadays the Christian church has kind of given up on that and has become a of the world Christian church. It's just changing all its values to appeal to whatever the, as we talked about last week, the zeitgeist. So would you say that part of the problem is how you how you pointed out that part of the problem was with men as men? Yes, we have allowed a lot of these things. Also, as tolerant Christians, yes, where is I, it that we draw the line? Because even Muslims, most uh, they say something about Allah, say something about the Quran, about Muhammad. They will draw they might, a line. They might slap you in the face, right? So, where as Christians, how far That's do a we radical thing, do we though. let it go? I'm not been. telling you to go to jail. I'm not telling you to slap somebody in the face and go to jail. But I, I do think you need to hold your like your, your family, your community, your small like. If all of a sudden your preacher comes to church on Sunday and is like, hey, we're going to do a drag queen thing this week, <laughs> you need to, like, there needs to be something that happens there. Well, just think about it. Like most of these topics have, that we've talked about, LGBTQ, uh, all that kind of stuff, bring that up in church. Watch how many people you make uncomfortable in your church. Yep. And that'll only get worse because the what happens is even people who don't really believe in that, if their kids do go off to college and all of a sudden their kids, this is what a lot of people don't quite get. Like kids will go off to college, become really liberal and come back. And then instead of like the parents being like, no, I don't believe that the parents will suddenly start to, well, you're okay, kid, maybe you're maybe. right. You know what I mean? Maybe you. And then all of a sudden the kid is, the kid is transgender. The kid's a uh, gay <laughs> or lesbian or something that happens. And then all of a sudden the parents, instead of staying grounded in their, in their principles, the parents adjust their principles so that they do not offend their children, which is a neat, like, that's a knee-jerk reaction. That's a, that's natural. Like, you don't want your kid to hate you, so of course you're going to be like, well, I still support and love my kid no matter what. No. 
even though my kid is gay or even though my kid is transgender. So instead of like trying to get your kid to turn away from that, they turn around and get mad at anybody who, who challenges it. And that's kind of what we're seeing. That's why when you talk about people getting really uncomfortable when you bring that stuff up, that's why they're uncomfortable is because they know somebody or they have a kid or they have a, a nephew or a niece yeah. or a cousin who has embraced that radical ideology and you are now not just attacking that radical ideology, you are attacking their child. You are attacking their kin. And instead of, you know, instead and of to holding me, fast they to what they believe. Right. right. They weren't. You're right. They weren't, but they thought they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so since you're now attacking their child or their kin, their knee-jerk reaction isn't going to be, well, let me hear this guy out. This might be sound religious advice. Their idea is, you're attacking my kid. It's fight or flight. It's like, okay, I either have to get really uncomfortable or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk like we're going to fight. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's As a Christian, you should be ready to fight, I guess. I'm ready to fight all the time. I got the scalping knife right here. On I, the I table. think I think there's a pro- been a problem with tolerance of tolerance is not a Christian virtue, but we decided it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's I one like that, that also makes people uncomfortable. I like that. Well, see, that's that's what it's I true. think. We, I we think decided the- Saint Michael, the 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 sculpture of Saint Michael stabbing the devil with the spear and stepping on his neck. We decided that was a white supremacist hate symbol instead of a Christian symbol. And that's just a, a, a microcosm of what Christianity has become. It's like, well, uh, that's a little that's a little too extremist. We can't show St. Michael spearing the devil and that stomping f- on his f- neck. That might offend somebody. That might offend somebody. Mm-mm-mm. So what, what are we at? We are at two hours exactly. Oh, my goodness. See how fast it goes? It goes by fast. I was a little worried about that. Speaking of the devil, what do we want to wrap up with? I had a couple news stories, but I don't know if that's, like, I don't know if that's topical. Do you want to talk about, like, some good football memories? This is kind of a football episode. Like what? I don't know. What, what What are a couple of your best football memories that were... That like, not just like, hey, I had fun playing football, but things you think that that influenced who you are today. Do you have any? Quite a few. I gotta think of one. So when you decided that I was pretty sucky at football, I'll share. He's not very good. I'll share, and I wish Josh was here to share this story about Dylan. (laughs) I miss her. I'm kidding. I I thought you said we didn't have much talent. We didn't have a lot. Right. We just had a little. Mostly, I mean, that depends on who Josh you're asking, Malone. Sam, because I've seen some of these last teams. <clears throat> hey, I, hey, I saw them too. I coached them. I gave up on, on the shoulder. You know who really messed up was Ivan's cousin, because if he would have just put in Dylan, he would have caught that touchdown pass, and we would have won. Oh, yeah. Him. Edgar dropped that pass. <laughs> We'd have been in the state championship if he would have dropped that damn pass. Too. That reminds me of that. Have know. y'all seen the movie with Robin Williams called The... Best of Times. I think it's called the Best of Times, where he's him and his buddy are reliving their high school, and Robin Williams dropped the touchdown pass. Oh, really? And, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's this it's was at my Robin wedding, Williams. right? When you reminded him of this? Yeah, yeah. At my wedding, Dylan reminded the 
told coach said, and, and, and it's your fault too. Yeah. You didn't have me in there as a receiver. <laughs> so I don't know if he would have been a very good right guard to replace you if you went to receiver. Uh, we really just had like me and you, and then the, the rest of it was a little bit iffy. My senior year. Really? Kramer? A little iffy. Drew? Don't you I wish, wish he had don't you wish Drew would have been as big he? he's like back six, then as he? six, <laughs> three fifty. Ah, four hundred and eighty. Like he's he looks like a giant. He's a big I guy hope you now. listen, Drew. You look like an actual was giant. Our, what was he? Right. He was a right tackle, tackle. I think. He did not look Go like ahead, he guys, was like me. No, he is now, but he, he was, wasn't back was he? then. He, he was, was probably he six was, four. Yeah, he was six two. four, probably weighed two ten, two fifteen, maybe more. I don't know. When people get tall, I can't decide how much they weigh because I'm like, I look at tall people and I'm like, yeah, they probably weigh as much as me, but I'm just fat and short. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. You don't have the any. Best. What's yours? My memory of, of football. I don't know. When we semifinals game, like the, when we scored the touchdown against. The, just one. Did we just score once or did we score twice? Yeah, man. The I don't first, I won a whole lot. There's the no first, more than two, uh, I don't think. The first touchdown we scored the against score Pawnee. was way worse than how we got beat. Yeah. If that makes sense. But the first touchdown we scored against Pawnee was a quarterback sneak, and that made me feel really good because I felt like he was. I, I felt like it was me. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it was all Zach. It was all Zach. I don't he think was, Zach was, he was a big squirmy enough little to, bastard. I was fat enough to push through because it was. You remember who the two all stars were for Pawnee? The two twins, Gerard, Gerald, and Gerard. Gerald and Gerard. So they were the linebackers, right? Right. And it was a quarterback sneak, and they were playing. I don't know what the defense is called, but like the two linebackers came up to me, like on the the a gaps, yeah. and I had Gerald and Gerald or whatever their <laughs> name was. On either shoulder, like they both like hut and they both came and hit me, and it was a quarterback sneak, and we pushed through and scored, and that was like the, oh, yeah. the thing that I remember. I was hey, like, well, man, I was right there to your right, man. You were, you helped, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I always get. We played Tonka Wall the next yeah. year or something, maybe. Yes, I and also I, so have a memory I get, about. Tonka I get Wall. those two games mixed up. Like I don't, I really don't remember them much, but. One of those games, <clears throat> it was like the opening kickoff or something, and I ran down. I might have kicked. I don't remember. You were you were kicking. I at kicked the time. some and going down there, and I hit somebody. And it might have been that uh, Ivan, who was the good guy for Tonkawa, that Bo went bowling. Bo bowling, Bo bowling, and I hit him head on, and it hurt. I thought, but oh, it made man. you feel good. No, I was like, this is gonna be a long game. <laughs> These guys are real. Yeah, he was, this is going to be way physical. He was good. Yeah. yeah, when your head hurts and you go to sneezing, you know, yeah. and see the stars. Yeah. That, yeah. I remember Tonkawa because it was like uh, we had a defensive stand against them and held them like from going in the end zone. And on one play, I knocked one of them out, and that's like the highlight of my – like knocking really? that kid out is the highlight of my high school career, and it was Tonkawa. And then I also it was cool playing. Uh, you remember the, a lot more than I do. Playing Canadian Austin English. Yep. Playing him was pretty cool because I like I tackled he, he him two or three plays in. He got no, hurt. he got hurt. Uh, yeah. Adam Mossberg always claims that he hurt him. 
Yep. And you beg to differ. Uh, I don't know. You know I don't I remember there. it that well. Yeah, I don't remember it that way. I think it was more he was just running so fast he stepped on him and just <laughs> twisted his ankle. Well, hey, that was a cool game because, like, Canadian was big. And they showed up with, like, yeah, two activity buses. by them and twice. Two, yeah, but they didn't beat us by near as much as they should have. They were surprised. Like, it was one of yeah. those deals it where, was, like, that what, first what team was it? Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. Canadian. Coach they called him, and he was like, hey, if it gets bad, you guys have to lay off. The first series, you could see those guys, like, had been uh, played, uh, and they were uh, like, what's yeah. going on? This yeah, is different. that was electri- yeah. it was electrifying because they showed up with, like, two activity buses for the team and two for the and band. And I remember we and had ski. And they were ski talking about, oh, we're going to get killed. This is Texas football. Yeah. Like a normal Texan. <laughs> no, it was like you, that's you why I remember that I've one. Heard that because it was like it was like the second play of the game. Um, Ivan, back me up. That's true, isn't it? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> it was like the second play of the game, and the and the guard pulled, and I was playing like three tech or defensive guard, <laughs> whatever we call really it. remember this yeah. stuff. I remember it because I tackled Austin English, and it was great. And the guard pulled and nobody filled, and I ran into the backfield and tackled Austin English for a loss. Yeah. And that was what you're talking about. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, shit. This first series you know, is not going the way we thought it was going to go. I remember that, like, the seeing that look on their eyes of, uh, what's, what, who are, what, who what's are the these, deal? Are we not playing good, or are these guys are these good? backwoods rednecks yeah. from... Same thing happened with some team... From way over east, that came over here for a playoff game. We had a home yeah. play, like yeah, that was that Union. that was that Thanksgiving oh, game. Oh yeah, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Union. Union, the Cougars. They showed up out they here. They showed up just the, wherever they, they were from, supposed to like, beat the dog shit out of us. <laughs> we beat them. They came and all they the way from and, Eastern Oklahoma, and y'all had a home playoff yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they were supposed to just thump us, and they showed up, and all. I, what I remember about that game is like. All of a sudden, we realized like we were hitting way harder than they were hitting, and that was something I remember. Is like yeah. these guys have not been man. Hit. We were well, and we were conditioned. Yeah, you know, McVeigh had us, and my dad under the you know for the lineman. We I think it we helped their best shape. player didn't yeah. play in that game. No, that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> don't, I don't remember. Like we it that we can't way. we can't. The things the the things I remember are like there were teams that you'd go play that like were a different level of as far as like getting physical and getting hit. And sometimes you would play teams that would be like surprised that all of a sudden they were getting hit. And other times you would play teams that hit like you did and you'd be like, man, these guys are serious. You know what I mean? Like uh like Velma? Velma Elma. Yeah. Like when we went and played Velma and they were warming up on the sidelines and part of their warm ups was to they would put two guys and they would go hit each other as hard as they fucking could. Do you remember that? No. That like was before say, the you game. Remember this a lot. Before more. the game, like we were warming up, and like part of their warm up is they would just line up in two lines and they would go hit each other as hard as they could, as part of their warm up. And I remember thinking, like, "Hey, that's pretty. That's a good strategy." I bet like, I looked over at there. that and thought, "Y'all are retarded. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving my energy." <laughs> I remember deal. that guy too. That was a Hawaiian guy, and he knocked down like everybody Had on a, the team. Uh, that yeah. guy was stout. What was his name? Pacquiao, I, I think. I remember that. That's a and boxer, he, he just, Sam. like, he ran over everybody. Except for, I think, you and probably me, because I was too fat and you were too strong. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I remember, though, like, as a whole of it teaching you 
you know, life fundamentals. Yeah. Of it's not always going to be easy. Get back up. That's the thing uh, that bothered me coaching. That kind of stuff. The thing that bothered me coaching was, was like, no, like having all the experiences we had and then coaching and seeing that those kids were not getting the same thing that, that we got. Well, and we it had tough. it before. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have had that experience if I didn't have the parents that I did. Right. Uh, knowing that you you can't quit. You know, you're raised. You don't you don't quit a sport. You you're don't not allowed quit. to. Everybody says I quit basketball. I did not quit. I just didn't play one year. That was that. Was that your senior year? No, maybe sophomore, sophomore, wasn't it? Probably something like that. So yeah. I bet your dad was pissed. That's a, another story in itself. Yeah. He was not thrilled about that. So, anyway. yeah. And he wouldn't let you play tennis. You no, no tennis. Dude, he, you and me would have... No, he said I could play tennis, but I couldn't live under his roof if I did. So <laughs> It makes me sad because I feel like you and me would have been a really good doubles team. Yeah, I don't remember it that way, Sam. <laughs> we, have we, probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't have made it. <laughs> I, th- I think I would have gone, you want to do what? I did. I loved it. I loved tennis. I tried to. I went out for it one day, so, yeah, I guess I did quit. I took a tour of the tennis thing. Yeah, you were forced to quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a deal. Oh, man. All What's right, our should we gotta have should one. We close it up? Something Ivan, really do you want to close man. it up with, like, a... We want to talk about hero of the week and biggest loser. We didn't even talk about political stuff or current events, so we really can't. good. It doesn't always have to get political. It doesn't. Sad. This Sometimes was a good you just got to remember the good old days. Yeah, and some positives, man. There's way too much negative in this world to just focus on it. I think I'm positively sure that things are going to go really great for our little network of people I and love our it. little families. We got to keep doing that. Those get-togethers. After this episode is over, we're going to talk about the idea for the the Knowles School. What's our mascot? Or the proposed mascot? What do you have? The Prairie Wolves? Yeah, that'd be a good one, the Wolves. Play us out, Ivan. Hit that outro. Hey, thanks for having me. I had fun. It was fun. I'm glad he was finally on. Me too. Yeah, it was cool. Good Ivan's trying to hit the outro. There it is. I think the prairie wolves would be good. There used to be wolves out here. Not too long ago. 100 years ago. Apparently there was a bunch that lived right out there. Like, oh, playing sound bites. I like the punchers. Just, uh, just punchers east of, of punchers. Just east of your place. Apparently there was like Where a little... Where the cave was? Yeah, there was like a den of horses in front. Mm-hmm. That wasn't East Year Place. That was over by Camp Creek. I gave Kevin that book. Kevin the, who? The guy that was on that podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kevin. Yeah. I gave him the, the Healy book, and he's reading it. That's a great uh-huh. book. They called it Cimarron? Yeah, they called it Cimarron. Jackson's he sent me a picture. He liked it. He sent me a picture of it today. He's reading it. Pretty Kevin, good. I hope you enjoy it. Ready, to, ready for you to come back up Kevin. this, this Christmas. Kevin, on Christmas, you're going to meet Dylan. We're out.